Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, the fame got him. Okay, he was practicing this bada bing, bada boom shenanigans <laughs> right before the podcast. He's like, "Babe, babe, how do I make it spookier?" I'm like, "No, don't, please." <laughs> so this week's episode is about man, we're revisiting it about Michael Peterson and Kathleen Peterson. Um, a lot of times this case is known as the staircase case because you are talking about a very suspicious fall down the staircase. There are so many plot twists in this one. There are so many opinions. This is a case. If you have a strong opinion about it, this is not going to be the podcast that you are going to enjoy because I, I don't have a strong opinion. <laughs> I have been into this for weeks now. I have watched so many. I've watched the Netflix docuseries. I've watched other documentaries on this case. And I think um, this is kind of a situation where it's solved and unsolved. So in the court of law, it is technically solved, but it's unsolved in public opinion. So it's kind of divided. You've got a big group of people who think Michael Peterson is completely innocent. You've mm-hmm. got a big group of people who think he's absolutely, without a shadow of doubt, a guilty mother forker. And I kind of am somewhere in the middle where I feel like the more I know, the less I know. So I'm going to just do a deep dive on this one. Okay. And I'm going to try to make it as short as possible because even just the Netflix docuseries is a 13 hour um, shenanigans. Okay. It's 13 hours, 13 episodes of sometimes absolutely nothing. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So Michael and Kathleen Peterson. Yes, it starts off like every other story of potential spousal murder. They were the perfect couple. They really were. So Michael, he is a Vietnam War veteran, and I might call him Mike for the purpose of just shortening it. And he was actually injured while fighting for our country. So like, wow, amazing. And I say it in a sarcastic way because we'll get to it. And he had a New York Times bestseller book. Like, I mean, this guy is accomplished. So he went to an amazing university. He graduated from Duke University. Then he went off to fight in the Vietnam War. Then he, you know, wrote all these books about war and they were bestsellers and, you know, all of these amazing things. Now, Kathleen, she was 48 years old at the time and she was actually even more accomplished than him oh yes so she is the first female student at the engineering school at duke university i mean this woman she's intelligent smart she became a high-powered executive at a canadian company i believe called nortel i've never heard of them before yeah this is a massive company and she was an executive there she was super smart and she i mean i don't know what to say like i saw so many pictures of her and she's got this like beautiful smile she looks smart too i don't know how to describe it like i would love to have had like a conversation with her like she looks like someone who has a lot of advice to give and someone who's just you know very accomplished like yeah very almost motherly but still accomplished and like the definition of pick your role models like this person should be like a girl's role model so when she's at duke university she meets her first husband and they end up having a daughter together then she found out that he was cheating on her that wasn't mike no her first husband and so they get a divorce and she was just like really going through it um her and caitlin her daughter they were just trying to figure out what's next like this is a completely life-shattering moment Mm -hmm. and then that's when michael peterson he had just gotten back from germany and he's got all these kids so mike peterson was once married before too so i'm just going to give you like a lowdown on how they met but we're going to get deeper into it later Mm -hmm. so he was in the vietnam war then he went to germany at one point and he was based in germany and his wife patricia at the time so she was teaching at a military base So she's teaching there. It's going really well. They have these two sons together. They're both, you know, born in Germany. And they have a close American friend of theirs where, um, so like, 
both of them die the parents die and they have these two young daughters they're like one years old two years old and so because they're friends the couple had just died they decide to adopt these two girls oh their friends kids yeah die yeah their oh. friends died so they adopt their friends kids that's so nice of them. yeah margaret and martha are the two daughters and they get adopted by the petersons so they move back to the states because they're like listen now we got four kids like what's going on like that was devastating that our friends have died and so they come to the u.s they get a divorce and mike moves nearby to where um kathleen and caitlin are living and caitlin actually becomes really close friends with margaret and martha the adopted daughters and they play with barbies together and so of course if you've got these young kids hanging out then the parents are eventually going to hang out and you've got this newly divorced dad this newly divorced mom and they just kind of fell in love and they both went to uh the same school yes but they didn't know each other. They never met there. Um, Michael is about like 10 years older. So he's much older than Kathleen. So they never really crossed paths, but they did go to the same college, right? Mm-hmm. Graduate from the same place. And so, you know, the daughters keep playing together. So they're like, okay, this is amazing. Like they're getting along. We're kind of hitting it off. And eventually they start dating. Then it gets more serious. They get married and they all move in together. And they had this beautiful wedding at their house. I think there was like 150 guests there. Like it was this beautiful moment. And everyone constantly said Kathleen was so happy. Like she just was so, so content. I mean, her last relationship she was cheated on and now she found this man that she completely trusts, like completely, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, Stephanie, it's just the most intelligent shit you've ever said. Just completely trust her, completely. (laughs) But like, honestly, I think Michael was incredibly lucky to have her because here's the thing. Kathleen, she was a do-it-all type of woman. You need to prep dinner for 50 guests, she can do it. An accomplished corporate career, she can do it. She's an amazing mother mother to five children now she did that she's an amazing wife she did that plus more like she just what couldn't she do like that's literally what everyone says about her she was juggling juggling all of this especially during the time that this took place so again like i said it seems like they're like the happiest couple in the world they even bought this sprawling mansion like massive i'm talking three and a half acre lot um it's completely gated this is a ten thousand square foot six bedroom just like off the top of my head <laughs> yeah why do i know so much about their house weird yeah it's this huge where, where house do they live in durham north carolina okay so they bought this amazing house and they were just kind of known as like the durham elite like upper society like this is an insane house one Very of the nicest successful. house yeah and so he was making money from his books she was making money as an executive like it was just amazing And the crazy thing is, like, at one point, all of the kids were living there. So Martha and Margaret, the adopted children of Mike Peterson, were calling Kathleen Peterson mom now. Mm -hmm. Um, They started calling her mom when they got to high school because they were like, listen, I just feel like she does so much for us that it, it just makes sense. Like, she's our mom, really, in the full aspect. She gives us love. She gives us shelter. She just there's nothing else that we would want from someone who we would call a mom. And it was like this beautiful thing. They really um, all of the kids would say that they really only fought when dad would come home late from the gym because Kathleen. Kathleen would already have dinner ready and it would be like this big joke of like, you're not even that buff, dad. Like, why are you at the gym? Ha ha he ha. You know, their family had dinner together every single night. Like they constantly said that they are all super open and they all loved each other and they all just call her mom. Why do you say it like that? I don't know. I feel like... (sighs) 
Maybe Wait, it's, it's coming from... Is there from, more to it? I mean, see, this is where... <laughs> this is where I get a little negative, Nancy. Maybe it's coming from like a weird family household. I'm like, listen, anytime someone says that they've got the perfect family and they're all super open with each other, I'm like, someone's freaking lying, okay? There's some teenager out there lying to you. There's see, some parent. me yeah. growing up, yeah. I thought everybody else had a perfect or better family than me. But the more I get to know every individual, mm-hmm. I just realize nobody has a perfect family. Yeah. Like every freaking family has their own sets of crazy problems. Deep, dark, murder. Yeah. Secrets. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Man, yours is fucked up too, huh? Yeah. This is why you don't take a 23andMe as a group. Okay. <laughs> you keep it what? Yourself. The DNA test. Do you know how many families these DNA tests must have broken up? Oh, so many, I bet. Huh. Yeah, listen, yeah. too dangerous, okay? So they just live in this perfect bubble with this perfect family, okay? Of course, shit's going to go down. So the night before Kathleen's death, I'm just going to give you like the lowdown because this kind of gets important. So David is a co-author for one of his books. So David and Mike, they wrote a book about Vietnam together and it was like this amazing thing. It was a New York Times bestseller and this Hollywood executive was like, listen, I think I want to turn it into a movie. So they were in the talks. David's talking to the executive and finally David was like wait so you're telling me it's a go-ahead and the executive's like listen I haven't signed anything like I'm not telling you but like you know it seems like a done deal so David he gets excited he calls Kathleen and Mike and Kathleen picks up the phone and they were Mm -hmm. together so they talk for about 10 minutes and he said that everything was same like nothing was weird there was no tension there was no stress everyone was goofing around they seemed in good spirits and it was just a super exciting time I mean you've got this book turning into a movie soon you've got um, Christmas that was just around the corner because this is December of 2001 right Mm -hmm. so like December 8th and she just loved entertaining she loved hosting so there was just a lot of good things happening is what a lot of people were trying to say now December 9th 2001 comes around and this is where everything just like crashes and crumbles and it's like a car accident waiting to happen so Michael and Kathleen they went to blockbusters I was literally about to say like 2001 wasn't that long ago. And then I'm like, they went to Blockbusters. They rented a movie called American Sweetheart. So they're watching this movie in the living room and they're eating dinner in front of the TV. This so, is the ninth. Yeah. Okay. So Michael claims that at 11 p.m. the movie ends. They leave all of their little, you know, plates in the living room. They're like, oh, we'll just clean it up tomorrow. Like these are very specific details, by the way. And he's like giving it to us. And he's like, yeah. So we left our plates in the living room. Then we headed into the kitchen. So we go to the kitchen and he said, it's normal for us every night to talk for about two to three three hours we just kind of had glasses of wine we talk about two the- to three hours <laughs> yeah. we talk about the movie we talk about the kids we wow. talk about you know all of these other things we just kind of like enjoy a glass of wine and so they were drinking wine yeah so they move out to the balcony and he said that it was a nice night out it was a uh, beautiful in north carolina in december i'm from the south and i'm like was it that beautiful it feels cold but he was like yeah it was a nice night out we went out there we drank wine out there then we went to the pool so the way that their house is set up they're rich so like the house is here the balconies there. you gotta like walk to the pool like it's not just like you open your door like hey pool right so they walk down to the pool they bring their glasses they sit on their pool chairs and they're drinking more glasses of wine and they're talking and they're just enjoying this night and she had taken um a valium this is kind of important so that's a sedative it can be used for anxiety muscle relaxer to treat seizures whatever the case is so, it like a counter 
No, you have to be prescribed it, I believe. Uh-huh. But I don't think it's, I mean, you definitely shouldn't mix it with alcohol, but I don't know if this was like that big of a deal because her blood alcohol level wasn't that high later. Okay. And so she had taken a Valium and they're just talking, finishing their drinks and the dogs were out there. Michael is saying all of this. And then she's like, hey, listen, Mike, I need to go upstairs and I'm just going to like head in for the night because I have this conference call in the morning and I just like, I can't stay up all night with you, right? Yeah. So he's like, okay, like good night, love. And she starts walking into the house and he decides, you know what? It's a nice night. I'm just I gonna think stay I up. vaguely remember yes. this one now. Yes. And he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to stay out a little bit longer. So yeah. she's wearing her little flip flops and she heads into the house. And that was the last time he saw her alive. Well, no, he said she was alive when I found her, but barely. That's a direct quote. And I don't know why that one's kind of sinister. And so he says that he just kind of like fell asleep. He didn't really remember. He says he, Yeah, he says he dozed off. Now, mind you, Michael is wearing short sleeves and shorts. So he says that he kind of dozed off. He doesn't really remember. Maybe like an hour had passed, maybe two. He doesn't even remember what time they came outside to the pool. And uh-huh. so he was on the porch for at least half an hour to 45 minutes smoking a pipe. And eventually he was like, you know what? I'm going to go inside. So after around two in the morning, he goes inside to the house. And that is when he places the first 911 call. So he calls 911. And this one is a huge argument for a ton of people so he's like listen my wife's been in an accident she's still breathing she fell down the stairs she's still breathing she's not conscious you know um he seems super panicked they keep asking like how many steps how many steps and he's like i don't know like 15 20 steps like please get an ambulance hurry and it seems hysterical and then he disconnects the call so there's a dial tone heard at it heard at the end of the call which means it's not that it was call failed it's not like the dispatch hung up he hung up on 911 a lot of people had lost Lots of problems with this first call. So this is um, public like record. You can like find it on YouTube. The 911 call. I didn't think it was that alarming. It wasn't a huge deal breaker for me on this one. Um, Some people said it was weird that he just kept saying like she had an accident. She's still breathing. She's not conscious. And then the fact that he just like hung up. Some people thought it was weird. It gets weirder. And I'm sure in the big scheme of things, it's even weirder because he is a pretty suspicious dude. And then a couple minutes later, he calls again. And now he says she's not breathing. Which so like, makes sense okay. too, no? Like, kind oh, of. She, oh, she was breathing. And yeah. then if you realize she's no, not breathing, then you'll be like, oh my gosh, she's, she's not, not breathing. breathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would make sense until the paramedics get there that it starts not making sense. Okay. So then he's like, she's not breathing. She's not breathing. Like, are you guys sending them? Like, where are they? And then mm-hmm. they tell him that the paramedics are on their way. He hangs up the phone again. So when the EMTs arrived, they said that the blood was completely dry, pretty much. Like, they didn't have to wear any protective garments. Like, because when there's active flowing blood, like liquid blood, they have to protect themselves because it's hazardous but it was really dry like none of them got blood on them it was strange so during this there was no attempt at cpr by michael peterson that he has admitted so after the first 911 call he didn't like hang up to administer cpr he didn't do any of that so while the police are walking in around this time, one of his sons comes home, too. So during this, Michael and Kathleen were home alone. And now one of the sons is coming home and he's like, what's happening? Like, like my dad called me. Yeah, he said my dad frantically called me. Something's okay. going on. Right. So he gets to the house. The police walk in blood everywhere. I mean, the amount of blood at, in the staircase is insane. Wait, so the paramedic got there. There's bloods are dry. Yeah, but there's so much of it. Oh, they're just all dry. It's all dry, but there's so much. I mean, up the wall, like nine and a half feet up the wall, there's blood splatter. 
and then the amount of blood on the actual staircase there's just tons of blood kathleen's sweatpants so she's like wearing this like gray coloredish sweatpants Mm -hmm. they're soaked in blood kathleen's hair is like soaked in like there's just so much blood okay like it's kind of insane how much blood there is and so immediately they said that this doesn't seem consistent with someone falling down the stairs like listen i'm a certified idiot but me looking at the crime scene photos and i'm really scared of blood so this could be completely biased it seemed like a lot of blood right like i've tripped i've fallen but i have never seen that much blood in my life i mean it's just so much blood now there were also strange things about her positioning so it didn't seem like she came to a final resting position after falling these Mm. are what a lot of uh quote experts are saying so her head was leaned up against a step so she was laying on her back her Mm -hmm. head is leaned up against a step her hands are on her lap and her legs are spread not like necessarily wide but um just kind of apart from each other so like she's just kind of imagine like almost a zombie like situation where you're just kind of you know and it was weird now around her there were paper towels there was a towel on her head it seemed like someone had tried to um kind of clean up some of the blood on the wall or the stairs that's what they said it looked like the police said it did not look like a fall down the steps at all so they come up with a theory on the spot like they're ready to go they're like listen just looking at this blood we don't think that this is an accident so they think that she's been beaten she's you know in shock she recovered then she struggled with mike peterson then he legend her to death on multiple occasions so they're saying not only was it like one hit on the head or two hit on the head this was a struggle some situation and she eventually bled to death mm-hmm. that was their conclusion that this was a homicide um the paper towels and the towels nearby they made it even look more guilty because it's like was he trying to clean up blood splatter to make it not look like it was blunt force trauma was he trying to clean it up and then he hit her again like what's going on you know And the reason that they come up with the idea that there was multiple different struggle points, so meaning maybe he hit her on the head, she lost consciousness, he came back, hit her again, is because they're saying that it looked like some blood splatter looked like it had been cleaned and then there were more blood on top. Does that make sense? Like something had been smeared and then blood splatter on top. So they're like, listen, it seems like something weird's going on. Was it after the first 911 call? Like, what's going on? So they get a search warrant and Michael's brother is actually a lawyer in Vegas. So immediately he calls them and is like, hey, like this is what's happening and this is how the police are treating it. And he's like, listen, you need an attorney the fork up because they are treating you guys like suspects. No one is in there investigating this quote unquote accident right now. And so he just kind of shuts down and it becomes like this really weird tense situation. And it gets even more tense once we uncover more of the details. So the stare itself, right? I think when I first heard about this case i was imagining like this really crazy like spirally staircase like something like marbly something very slippery right Mm -hmm. but the stair itself is kind of like a straight line it's a back stair so they have two stairways in their giant house Mm -hmm. now this back one is like one of those hidden ones so it's completely straight up and then at the end it's got like maybe three or four steps that curve through a small doorway it's not like this grand opening it's pretty dimly lit Mm -hmm. it's not um the widest staircase ever Mm -hmm. and so it just kind of gets a little bit narrow so here Here's what's interesting. She actually wasn't coming down the stairs, but they believe in her positioning that she was going up and fell backward. So she's walking up the stairs, lost her balance, hit her head on the doorframe, hit her head again on a stair and then try to get up and then hit her head once more. So okay. if you go with the accident theory. So there was just a ton of blood near that area. So they start they start thinking maybe she tripped, like maybe she fell backwards, like what's going on? Now the police are already so suspicious of Michael because I mean 
look at all the blood at the crime scene, right? So they start searching the rest of the house because they're like, there's just something weird about it. Like, let's try to do the best that we can and find all the evidence that we can. So they go into the kitchen and they bring in the two wine glasses as evidence. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Those two wine glasses that were just neatly sitting on the kitchen counter, you would think, obviously, this matches the story. They were drinking wine. They went outside. They came back in. Where else would you put these wine glasses? Hmm? Now, Kathleen's fingerprints were nowhere to be found on either of those wine glasses. So who was drinking the wine? Where where would she drink the wine then? This yeah. just doesn't make sense with his story, right? But they didn't know that at the time. They just collected them as evidence, probably just to see if like there was something in the wine, right? And there was a speck of blood on the kitchen cabinet. And this will come into question later. So it's like, wait, did Michael Peterson find her, then come into the kitchen? But why would he do that? If Why wouldn't he just immediately call 911, stay with her? Like, what did he come in the kitchen for? Like, it almost made it seem like he was walking around the house after he found out that she had, you know, quote, fallen. So at the front of uh, the front porch, there was a minute drop of blood. So this comes into heavy questioning later because it's just like, why is there blood there? Front? Yeah. They're just, it doesn't make sense for there to be blood. I mean, yeah. why is there blood there, right? If she just fell and then you find her, you didn't go outside, you stayed inside, called 911 and what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they immediately take in Kathleen and they also take in all the clothes that Michael's wearing because if he were to be hitting her, administering some blunt force trauma, there would be blood splatter on his clothing, right? Like I said, he was wearing t-shirts, he was wearing shorts. He had socks and shoes that he later took off, which, (laughs) okay, so they collect all of that. Now, immediately, police said that it seemed like water had been splashed onto his pants. Like, that's what they felt like. It just looked like it. It didn't look like it was just all blood because, I mean, Obviously, they were bloodied up. Like, if you look at the pictures of Mike's clothes, they have lots of blood. But he's saying, I cradled her. Like, I was holding her because after I called everyone, I was freaking out. But it looked like maybe he had splattered water on them. That's what the police say. It just seemed a little bit weird. So they bring that in. Now, there has also been the question of, did Michael Peterson clean up any bloody footprints? So the police claim that they tested the floors and there were evidence of bloody footprints being cleaned up after the fact. So if you were to find your wife or someone that you love at the bottom of the steps dying right before the police come, would you be cleaning? Would you be trying to bring paper towels and wipe up blood? No. No, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it just got a little bit weird. For Mm -hmm. some reason, they don't even mention this at the docuseries at all. Hmm. Are these all recorded, police? So that's where it gets even weirder. A lot of pictures were taken at the crime scene. So you will even see pictures during the trial where there's um, the kitchen cabinets with little specks of blood on them. But here's where it gets weird. Some of them don't match up. So you will have one kitchen cabinet picture, the same cabinet, and one of them has a speck of blood, and then the other one doesn't. And when asked about it at the trial, the person was like, oh, yeah, I think it's like a photo glitch. So it's like a photo photo glitch. glitch. But then how do you know that none of the other photos have glitches? So it really just became like a he said, she said type of situation. It just gets even weirder. okay? and so, yeah, they said that it seemed like someone had cleaned up these bloody footprints. Now, that doesn't necessarily someone is guilt mean someone's guilty. Just because you do some weird shit doesn't mean you murdered someone. Does it make it more likely? Yeah, maybe. Okay, but it doesn't mean 100% just because you clean up some bloody footprints that you are guilty of murder, right? So moving on. This is when Candace, she comes in, right? So Candace is Kathleen's sister and she becomes a pivotal point in this entire case for multiple different reasons. So she was living out of the, um, I believe out of the state at the time. So she comes and she's like, what's going on? Like, I, you just told me that my sister's dead. Like, how could she be dead? Like, what are you talking about? She gets to the crime scene. There's blood 
everywhere and she starts freaking out and michael just keeps telling her like she fell your sister fell your sister fell and she's like none of this is making any sense like what do you what do you what do you mean like how does she just fall like that and he was like listen it's just this crazy tragedy and and it happened after an amazing thing like i almost closed this movie deal we were celebrating that night we were drinking wine together i mean she was taking a valium to try to relax herself so that she could get some sleep before her conference call and it was just a tragedy like we were celebrating and so she's like fuck like that's horrendous here's what i know i know that right now there's low interest rates and i've been told about it all the time everyone in my life is refinancing everything refinancing their homes and most importantly it's a great time to refinance your student loans times are tough worrying about all of these student loan payments doesn't make anything easier that's where refinancing with Ernest could really really help so if you guys don't know about Ernest, they offer low rate student loan refinancing and you can check your rate risk-free in just two minutes that's really quick so with Ernest, you get radically flexible payments and you can even pick your own loan term by refinancing you can reduce your loan term save money or combine multiple loans into one simple monthly payment and if you have questions here's my favorite part you can even talk to a real live human at earnest for help because listen sometimes student loans it gets confusing all this finance stuff confusing and it's so nice that they have someone that cares and is willing to help you at any moment isn't it time that you stopped feeling overwhelmed by your student debt earnest is offering you guys our listeners a 100 cash bonus if you refinance your student debt at earnest.com slash rotten that's once again you'll get a hundred dollar cash bonus when you visit earnest.com slash rotten to refinance your student loan not available in all states terms and conditions apply for the people in the back that it's earnest.com slash rotten so all of the kids are coming and they're rallying behind their dad and everyone is just so saddened by this because I mean, they're not thinking what the police are thinking. They're not thinking, oh, my God, my dad just murdered my mom. They're thinking this was a horrendous accident. Like we just lost our mom. Like we're just grieving. We're just going through it. And this is a really sad loss. Right. And that's when news comes in that he was indicted for murder. So he's got to go turn himself in. Right. And the day that he turns himself in, he is interviewed right outside the courthouse. And he says, Kathleen was my life. I whispered her name in my heart a thousand times. She is there. I would never have done anything to hurt her. I am innocent of these charges and we'll prove it in court. Now, one thing you have to remember that a lot of people point out is that Michael Peterson is a fictional author. He writes a lot of, he writes books. He's a novelist. He writes novels. So he's really good with his words. He can be slick. He can be, you know, a little too smooth. And I think this is a situation where it's like, I don't know, like, that's a little weird. It just doesn't come off as genuine, in my opinion. Like, it just doesn't like come his, off. what he said? Yeah, Kathleen was my life. I whispered her name in my heart 1,000 times. But what if that's how he feels? Like, and that's how he expresses himself. He just like yeah if talk. that's the case i don't think it did him any good oh really <laughs> yeah because it just comes off so sleazy you know mm. it's like another thing to just like i think it's more relatable for a normal person to look at you and be like oh like he does look really sad right but he's like i whispered it in my dreams a thousand times her voice is like a flamingo through the wind like it's like what are you saying <laughs> so it was just a little bit weird right now during all of this the one thing that really helped him in the beginning is that all of the kids 
rallied behind Michael. Most importantly, Caitlin, who was Kathleen's biological daughter and the stepdaughter of Mike Peterson. And she said that her mom would have been appalled if she learned the charges against him. So he gets out on an $850,000 bond and he comes back home. So during this time, he's still spending the time with the family. Everything's going great. Dwellers. And so everything's going, um, I wouldn't say great, but like the family is together. They're a family unit at this point. Mm-hmm. And then the autopsy gets performed. So this autopsy was performed by Deborah Radish, who is a medical By the examiner. way, how, how old are the kids? So at the time, I actually wrote this down because I thought it was very interesting. They're all in like their um, early or late 20s. So Caitlin oh, wow. was the, no, Martha's the youngest at 18. Mm-hmm. Caitlin is 19. And then Clayton is one of the sons. He's the oldest. He's 27. Okay, so they're all in their about... Yeah, so, so the two are, sons yeah. are um, in their like mid to late 20s okay. and then all the girls are like in their early 20s. Okay. So they're all really young. And so, you know, all of them are rallying behind him. So the autopsy, right? Deborah Radish does it and she takes pictures of the back of Kathleen's head after shaving her head. And listen, the police, the medical examiner and me, a certified idiot, I mean, it just kind of seems crazy. The way that the like there are just these crazy lacerations on her head. They said it was so bad that you could peel the skin because of the lacerations. Uh. It wasn't like bruising. It wasn't necessarily like if you hit your head on something and you got like a bump, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, it just seemed really weird. Imagine yeah. the way that I can picture it. If you guys don't have the stomach for it, um, imagine the bald head and just seeing someone kind of like slice it in different ways. Mm-hmm. seven different times and they look pretty deep and they're very red and the skin is kind of coming up so it's just really intense injuries they said the police said it's almost like a pogo stick like this only makes sense if you fall down the stairs falling head first bouncing along the way otherwise how does this happen from falling down the steps she had a 0.07 blood alcohol level that's not even considered legally impaired to drive she can still drive a vehicle and not get arrested mm-hmm. she had valium in her system yes but um a lot of things just didn't make any sense so the first being that she has these seven really deep lacerations on her skull she didn't have any brain bleeding she didn't have any bruising swelling or skull fractures so typically you would see that if you saw blunt force trauma is what people say so it's interesting because she's got these like intense i don't want to say superficial wounds but like from the outside but the inside her brain wasn't going through typical blunt force trauma type situations but the lacerations were bad bad she didn't have any broken bones in her hands or her ribs which a lot of people say is very you know consistent with blunt force trauma you're like trying to protect yourself they didn't even try scraping her fingernails for any dna which i thought was interesting so i did see a redditor point out it probably wouldn't make any sense because this is her husband like it's me like having some of your skin under my nails it wouldn't be like the biggest thing in the world but um i still feel like maybe they should have tested it they said that if you were to fall down you would have injuries where your bones kind of protrude out of your face so you're talking like your bro your brow line your chin your nose you've got these like you know harsh brow points those would have injuries Mm -hmm. but it's like she had these tiny little cuts and scratches all over her face and her arms that just didn't make sense with the fall like how would that happen it just looked more like defensive wounds is that what people said she had her own hair in her hands which is again super common for people who are trying to defend themselves holding their hair like holding their hands up against their head to protect themselves clutching their head for protection Mm -hmm. and inside of her hands intertwined with her own hair 
were microscopic feathers. This is going to become so important. We're going to get to the owl theory later, okay? She also had、um, a fracture of a thyroid neck cartilage. So this is common with manual strangulation, which is really unlikely from a fall. So it's like this、um, fracture. They call it with a hemorrhage on the small extension off of the left thyroid cartilage. It's common in strangulation or attempted strangulation. Like her neck had a fracture, like a hairline fracture. Like、okay. you could have neck trauma with a fall, but like not this type is what a lot of people said. I am not like an expert in any of this, especially like neck stuff. <laughs> but、um, that's what they said.、Mm-hmm. So they believed that she probably died around two hours before nine one one was called. Does that add up? Oh yeah, I mean they were、no. out there at like eleven or twelve. No, it doesn't add up. Oh, because、so、he part- only stayed out for an hour. No, he said he might have stayed out for an hour or two. He doesn't remember. So that part adds up. But I mean, it just seems weird. So he, she just like died in his arms, and then the blood just like dried immediately. Oh, so she definitely wasn't alive. Yeah, that's what、called. people think. But then. Obviously, you could totally argue that he came in right as she was dying, and all of the blood to be bled had already bled out and dried, and there was just little bits of blood coming out now. So there was like that argument. So it kind of—I mean, it kind of matches, but it also seems so far-fetched. It's like, yes, it totally could be a possibility, but like, what is the possibility of that?、Mm-hmm. So clothing analysis—they start analyzing her clothes because they're like, this is a little bit weird. Why does she have so much blood on her like pants area? Like, what's going on? And the Plants show a lot of blood that was out at different times, so that's why the police again confirmed their idea that she struggled. It wasn't just like one point and she started bleeding. That's it. It was like blood and then new blood on top of old blood. That was kind of like the what the evidence was adding up to. Now the defense start trying to use this for themselves, and they're like, "Oh, well, that's because she probably hit her head on the doorframe. Then she fell to the ground. Then she's like sitting there bleeding. She tries to get up after a little while, and then she falls to the ground again. And that's why there's different types of blood. So I feel." Like both theories, if you really want to make it work in your head, you could do mental cartwheels, and you could get to the end of both theories. That's what makes it kind of confusing. Now, here's where it gets weird. There was a partial footprint on the back of Kathleen's sweatpants, a partial bloody footprint that matched Michael's shoes that he was wearing that day. Why would there be? What, I mean, she was laying on her back. Why would? Why would there、uh, be? At what positions? On the sweatpants. Yes, on the back of her sweatpants. Well, how would that even happen? So if he comes, she's already laying on her back. How would he step on her back? And like,、mm. wouldn't you think to be incredibly careful with your wife who might be dying in your arms right now? But he just like stepped all over her and was like, "Hold on, honey, I gotta get the phone to call nine one one." Like it just doesn't make any sense on that one.、Okay. So、um, a lot of people theorize that maybe he attempted to keep her down and hold her there. So after he had hit her, maybe he had put his you know foot on her the back of her sweatpants, kind of held her down and then hit her some more. Okay. <laughs> so by the time the police get there, he had taken off his shoes and his socks, and he said that it was because the ground was slippery. So he just like didn't want to slip and fall. Now a lot of people think maybe he did that so that he wasn't tracking foot like bloody footprints everywhere. So like he would wear those shoes where the blood was, and then he takes them off. Then he can like walk upstairs, walk to the kitchen, and not have all this blood trail. So that was kind of like a theory. It was just like really weird that he's just running around barefoot now. When It is weird because you don't really think about that. I, I That's imagine. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like taking off、towels. your shoes. What? Like, I mean, <sighs> like I, if I'm, I see you dying over there. I'm not worrying about. Am I gonna? Because sl- I'm not running around. Yeah. 
You does you you know what I mean? Yeah. That's really odd. That does sound odd. But like it's also a situation where if I feel like you were dying, I even if we've got the coolest rug, the nicest carpet, what do I care about that? Like I'm just running around trying to make sure you don't die. Yeah, exactly. And he said it was because it was slippery. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because he was in his fifties. He's older. And maybe we don't think about that yet. That maybe we could slip and fall. Maybe. <laughs> everyone's mad at me for saying that sorry but like you know what i mean yeah. some things just become a little more important right with age and so there was a lot of emphasis on the blood splatter of this entire case so there's blood splatter allegedly going in different directions now i want to keep saying allegedly with blood splatter because the more that i learn about blood splatter in this case the more that blood splatter seems like such a weird concept okay so apparently it's going in different directions you could argue that this happens in repetitive beating because blood would be going in different directions how else would it be in different directions so the da gets on this and he's like listen we're gonna press charges there's no way that this is an accidental fall this is this is absolutely homicide so da harden he really wanted the family to be on his side why because it strengthens his case not because it gives him justice like this is the crazy thing about this case it's literally just both sides trying to win there is no justice in any of this i think it's just the strangest thing okay so he's like listen i want them to be on my side because it's good for optics like the press sees they're sitting on the prosecutor's side because you know court is split up into two different sides Mm -hmm. they're sitting behind me they're giving interviews to the press with me you know and so he asks sister candace kathleen's sister to come in and she comes in and at first she was like really adamant like no way this is murder like you're fucking out of your mind you're fucking marbles like they loved each other so so much you don't even understand you don't know what you're talking about gosh right Mm -hmm. and he's like listen These are going to be really bad, but I want to show you the crime scene photos because I think the minute that you see these, you might change your mind. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, whatever you show me, like, I'm ready. Like, I saw all the blood in the staircase. Like, what can you, we're already in this deep, like, show me the crime scene photos. The Mm -hmm. first picture she took out of the envelope was the back of Kathleen's head that was shaved. So he shows her these pictures. And from that point forward with the autopsy, Candace and Caitlin felt like they were lied to about everything. So we've got Kathleen's sister and Kathleen's biological daughter who then now decide, you know what? I think Michael Peterson is fucking guilty because of it was the autopsy with the crime scene photos. You just know, I the think, same thing you've told me so far, yeah, right? They so were just it raised doubts. In so that. much doubts. They were just like, this just doesn't make any sense. And so the rest mm-hmm. of the children, they were behind Michael. So we've got the two daughters and the two sons. They were sticking with Michael and they were like, there's no way that he did any of this. And the, the family was completely torn apart. I mean, this is. Yeah, it was just really bad. So immediately, Michael Peterson has lawyered up and he's actually hired an incredible defense attorney. Like this guy is really well known in the South, highly regarded. His name is David Rudolph and people describe him to be bright, polished, media savvy. Um, he actually represented a man by the name of Ray Carruth, which if you guys don't know, he was part of the NFL. He was part of the Carolina Panthers and they he signed a four year, $3.7 million deal with them and he was dating a real estate agent by the name of Sharika Adams. She was pregnant with their child and she refused to abort that child. I mean, she wanted this baby. She was like, listen, I don't care. Like, I'm going to be a single mom. Like, if you're not a part of this, I'm still going to have this baby. And he didn't like that. And so he had someone shoot her four times and she was found murdered. I mean, she suffered. Yeah, she was in the hospital for like, I believe, weeks before she, finally she was pronounced dead. Um, they found him guilty for a conspiracy to commit murder, but he was not found guilty of first degree murder. And his sentence was only 18 to 24 years. 
and David Rudolph was his attorney. Her baby also did end up surviving. I know people are going to ask about that. Um, but he suffered from permanent brain damage and cerebral palsy as a result of being without oxygen for 70 minutes. Wow. So this was a high profile case with a lot of emotions, a lot of press, a lot of opinions. And David Rudolph got him off from first degree murder charges and just conspiracy to commit murder. So obviously, David Rudolph is like, listen, I'm challenging the autopsy. It just doesn't make sense. Like, yes, there's these deep lacerations. And yes, they look gruesome and they look crazy. But there's no brain bruising. There's no brain bleed. There's no, you know, none of that. Like, what's going on with that? So what is the truth here? Mm -hmm. Now, let's get into the truth about the Peterson's life because they were not the perfect family. And we know that now. We would have never known this, but we know it now. So the truth about their life is that Michael wasn't exactly who he claimed to be. So he claimed that he's like this amazing person. He was injured in Vietnam. Ooh, like fighting for this country. Yes. But um, he actually wasn't injured in Vietnam. He did have injuries to one of his legs that was really, really severe. But it wasn't because he was serving our country. It was because he was in a car accident in Japan. So he never served? He did serve and he did oh. want, like win a couple medals, but he claimed that he had like the Purple Heart like because, you know, there was like this landmine and his colleague had walked over this land bomb oh. and it it just blew up and he watched his colleague just die. And so then he's the a storyteller. Oh, yeah. And then the shrapnel, the landmine shrapnel just like came into my leg and I was like limping and I almost died. And it was like this whole thing, you know, this is what he told everybody. And mm -hmm. everyone was like, thank you for serving our country. Like, you're so brave. Right. And people loved him, which is crazy because like, I mean, it's just crazy. Okay. So they find that out. Now, here's what's even crazier. Well, the prosecutor thought it was crazier. There was a lot of gay porn in his computer. There was a lot of gay porn in his um, desk. Like he had printed them out, which I think is a little weird. Not because I think gay porn is weird, but because like, I don't know, it's just a little weird to print out gay porn like Maybe any he's porn. old you know i guess he's old yeah but he had it on his computer and printed so it was like this weird thing of like is he like trying to be digital or like what what's going on i mean i don't know right so he has all these printed photos um he has a bunch of images saved on his computer mm -hmm. now there were a couple droplets of blood on some of these pages so this is about 60 i want to say like 60 feet away from the crime scene like the den is really close to the back staircase so why was there a little bit of droplets of blood on these pictures huh maybe he's trying to get discard. rid of them yeah before so detectives also remember that the night of the crime scene when they got there he was like kind of on his computer like using the computer and they're like okay that's like really weird can you stop using your computer and so he stopped the police actually sees his computer because they're like you're being freaking weird and we've got a search warrant so we're taking your computer mm. right and that's when they find out that he was trying to delete tons of material i mean there was on his computer not deleted about 2500 gay porn images he had lots of of, um, different other things he also had emails with uh, male escorts that he was talking to he had some of those printed which i thought was weird so of email yeah like he's like his own detective for his own self yeah he like printed out these emails now the night of kathleen's death people think okay like this is a new motive right we didn't know this before but now knowing this 
maybe this makes sense. So let's say they are this happy family, but Kathleen had actually left her laptop at work. This has been confirmed apparently. Mm -hmm. So she leaves her laptop at work. She's got this conference call in the morning. Maybe she wants to get prepped for it. Maybe she needs to print something for it. And so she did something which she never really does is she uses Michael's computer after she gets in from the pool. Now the police believe that she saw these emails or maybe these images and she confronted him because here's the thing, like her first marriage ended because her first husband cheated on her infidelity is infidelity like it doesn't matter and so she confronts him and she's like listen i'm not gonna stay with you like i left my first husband for the same thing like i'm this is even worse because you knew how bad the first marriage ended because of the cheating Mm -hmm. and he was like listen you can't leave because she was the breadwinner at the time Mm. and so he goes into this rage and he kills her now the images, that's one thing. Like images, that's fine. Everyone watches porn. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people. And it's nothing to like get that mad over, usually. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be really inclusive right now. I'm like, I mean, if you get mad over it, just don't get murderous, I guess, right? And so, you know, there was porn, but there was also the fact that he was talking to a man out of the country that he met on a website for gay military men, and he wanted to see this person, and he wanted to see a bunch of other people. Now, Michael does end up admitting to sleeping with other people while he was in this relationship with Kathleen. He said that he never dated anyone. It was never a real relationship because Kathleen fulfilled that part of his life plus the sexual part but there was just this different part of him is how he explains it so Mm -hmm. he has had multiple affairs in his first marriage with Patricia as well with men and now he was kind of doing the same thing with Kathleen but he wasn't having an active affair at the time of her death is what he's saying Mm -hmm. so we've got all of these pictures of specifically gay military men in you know porn there's just porn right and he said that he had sex with about five to seven different men during his marriage with kathleen and he's claiming now that kathleen knew all of this that she understood it that she would even joke about it sometimes they would go to military bases together and she would joke look they're all gay just like you they're all touching each other and patting each other all the time and he made it seem like she was completely fine with it But the police are like, this is kind of a motive because affairs usually are not good for your defense. Okay, like this is bad. It doesn't matter if you're bisexual or gay or straight, like an affair is an affair and that's not going to go well in court. Okay, Mm -hmm. and so there was also the evidence of his writing. So his writing was a little bit weird. So um his books on the Vietnam War, I know when I initially explained it, it almost seemed like he wrote these like autobiographies about like what it's like being in the trenches, the struggles of that, like fighting for freedom, fighting for your country. Mm-hmm. And there were aspects of, about it, but there was a lot of sexuality intertwined. And I'm sure maybe this is real in those military bases because I've never been on one, right? But he would say things that, I mean, obviously don't represent the military, but it's a little weird. So he says, you cannot kill and be unaffected. Like an animal who first tastes blood, so is a man who kills. When he sees how simple is the act, he is forever disposed to that thirst. Perhaps he'll never kill again or ever want to, but always in his mind is the knowledge of the act, the awareness of its simplicity, the peculiar reminder of elation, sexuality that accompanied the deed, and two, that he was licensed, rewarded, or simply never caught. So it seems like there's always kind of like sex and violence intertwined in his books, which I know when we talk about serial killers, we're like sex and violence is always somehow intertwined, right? He would also write these short stories um, like, for example, hell is not being happy and being happy is what? Being happy is doing what you want. Doing what you want is an exercise in pleasure. Fucking genius. 
I'm being sarcastic. Therefore, being happy is doing what gives you pleasure. He said a whole lot of nothing, but he ends it with loving, sacrificing, murdering. So he's literally talking about a poem about what makes you happy. You know, doing what gives you pleasure is what makes you happy. And then he's like loving, sacrificing, murdering. So it's just really weird. So these there, the, the, even these are being used against him. Yeah. Right? So some of this wasn't admissible in trial, I'm sure. But a lot of it just like comes into the question of like the full picture of like, okay, mm. um, is there something going on here? I've got it all mapped out. I've got the whole plan set up on how I'm going to get a cat. Listen, I'm going to get a cat. I even have outfits dedicated that are in shopping carts ready to go. And I even got the whole litter box situation going on. The only thing I need to resolve are my allergies. My allergies do be allergying right now. So here, listen, if you guys don't know about Kitty Poo Club, I'm about to blow your mind. If you are a proud cat person, you love your cat, but that doesn't mean you love having a litter box in your home, does it? Kitty Poo Club takes care of the more unpleasant parts of cat ownership so that you can get back to just loving your furry friend. This is the coolest thing. So it's an all-in-one litter box solution designed to be convenient for you, the human. So every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. So these boxes are amazing. They're leak-proof, they're eco-friendly, and they have a fun design for every season. When the month is up, you just recycle the box and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. No more digging in there and changing the used litter. No more cleaning the whole box down you can even customize your order based on how many cats you have listen if you've got nine i'm not judging you and what type of litter that they prefer because you know their opinion matters and kitty poo club has a no risk guarantee so you can easily customize or cancel at any time so give yourself the gift that keeps on giving the whole year a kitty poo club subscription right now kitty poo club is offering you guys 20 percent off your first order when you set up auto ship by going to kittypooclub.com and enter promo code rotten to get 20 percent off when you set up auto ship for the people in the back that's kittypooclub.com and don't forget to enter promo code rotten So like everything becomes an argument. Now, here is some other arguments that they were having financial issues, which they don't really talk about in the docuseries for a lot of different reasons, right? So a lot of people claim that the family was actually going broke. So the three daughters, they were all in these prestigious colleges that were, I believe, private. So you're talking about a big tuition there. The two sons, they were in need of financial support. They were actually in a lot of debt. So these two sons, they had so much debt that they were were getting charged $1,000 a month in just interest fees i mean that seems like a lot no i mean credit cards sometimes do that to you yeah (laughs) and so the couple themselves they had a hundred and forty three thousand dollars in credit card debt spread across 20 different accounts Uh what about assets they don't have much assets so that's where it gets kind of confusing like they do so every single year for the past three years before kathleen died um they were spending a hundred thousand dollars more a year than they were making so they were spending a lot so michael peterson he hasn't made money in at least two years is what people claim like there was no income like he wasn't making giant money from royalties like these books they were just kind of like falling flat like no one wanted to sign any more book deals with him no new ideas were being sold and so kathleen was the only one holding all seven members afloat financially. So at the time of her death, though, some things were going down. So Nortel, the company that she was working for, they had spent weeks firing like over 40,000 people. 
Like they were crazy downsizing. And she was the one like letting these people go. So then she's like, listen, I feel the pressure. Like I think that I'm going to be next. She was complaining to her friends, her family, her sisters that, you know, there was just a lot going on. She was worried about her job security. They had a lack of money. They couldn't even um, fix up like leaky plumbing in the house that she was complaining about that allegedly. So months before Kathleen's death, emails also show that Mike was like searching for financial help for his children. Like he's like emailing people about it. He emailed his first wife who, you know, the two sons, they're shared together. And he said, listen, I need you to take out like a like a mortgage loan or something like a home equity loan because our kids are in debt. And he ended the email with it's simply not possible for me to discuss this with Kathleen. So it just seems a little weird. Like, it seems like maybe Kathleen would be like, what the heck? Like, why are you doing this? Like, you need to get a job then, right? It just seemed like maybe there was a reason. Now, she did have a life insurance policy of $1.4 million. Why is this not a bigger motive than it should be? It's because um, it was later split between Caitlin and her first husband. So Kathleen's first husband. So it didn't go to Mike Peterson, but he did inherit a couple of things. He inherited, like, I think $350,000 worth of his her 401k and all of these other things so like the defense they bring in this witness and they're like okay is this true like do they have a net worth of close to like 1.5 to 2 million dollars and they're like yes they do so it's kind of weird so if they sold all of their stocks and stuff they would have as much as six hundred seventy thousand dollars in profits but the prosecutors they kind of screwed it up because the way that they did their math was they were factoring in checks written to buy stocks as expenses what? So like they were saying, if you bought $5,000 in home spending of like, you know, paying for your oh, food. Oh, instead of you, investment, they're thinking yeah. of as they're spending. Yeah, but if you bought like $20,000 worth of stocks this month, I mean, I don't know how much they did. It's just maybe yeah, that sounds yeah. like a number, right? Then it's like they would write that as expenses. So, so now are you're they thinking, in debt or are they investing? So, so it seems like they were having money issues, but they were investing. So it's kind of up for debate. They said even if they were to sell everything at that moment, mm-hmm. they would be worth about $1.5 million. So they're not like okay. dying for money. Right. Okay. But so it this still money seems motive a little weird. is not that serious. But it seems kind of strong in the sense that Kathleen, if she left, she would have taken most of it. Okay. So it's not as serious as like, ooh, like we're dying for cash, but it is like she's probably the one controlling all of this. She's probably the one that's invested, you know, mm-hmm. and especially if he's having an affair and she can prove it. I mean, the court system is not going to go easy on Michael Peterson for that. Yeah, just to show you how uh, weird the prosecutors got, they also did this thing where she would be spending for the company Nortel that she worked for and she would get reimbursed for it. Mm-hmm. But the prosecutor would never show that to the jury. Like they'd just be like, look at how much she spent. And then the defense is like, but look at how much Nortel paid her back and reimbursed her for that. <laughs> so it was just a little bit weird. But they did have debt, okay? If people are wondering, they did have debt. So it's weird. Let's talk about him running for mayor. This is another nasty truth that came out. So all of these are just like coming up to become this big giant monster that's after Michael Peterson at this point. So he ran for mayor and this is when he got exposed in the town of Durham. So he claimed, you know, the whole story of the Purple Heart, like he was wounded in battle, like his friend stepped on a landmine. Oh my God, shrapnel in his leg, like all of these crazy things. And it turned out that that was all a lie and people found out about it while he's running for mayor because you've got other potential mayors that are like no fork you we're gonna expose you right so Mm -hmm. it came out and kathleen lost a lot of friends from this i mean she had to choose between and this was her first time finding out about it so he had lied to her too 
And she's like, what? Like you were in a Jeep accident in Japan. Like you weren't like you could have just said that. Like nothing's wrong with getting in a car accident. What's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. And so she had to decide between, you know, okay, is this like a divorce marriage ending situation or do you forgive him? What's going on? And so she forgave him and she lost a lot of friends from this. Now, so it seems like he's a very specific type of personality. Yeah, Like he's made up this crazy story and then he wants to run for mayor. Yeah. So he seems like he cares a lot about how people see him. Mm-hmm. And then like the books, I'm yes, sure he's like yes, this author and yes. he like makes it all fancy. He's like, I mm. whispered her name a thousand times in my heart. Mm. So he cares so much about everybody. Seems like it. Yeah. And what makes it even crazier is that this was a huge, huge thing in their marriage. Like imagine finding out this lie, but also to do it in such a public manner. It went, mm. it, this was massive. He actually ran for city council a month before Kathleen died. So I don't know if this stirs up more emotions or if this starts another fight. Maybe she's like, what the fork are you doing? Like get a job. Like why are you trying to be part of city, city council? Like can you do something else? Right. Mm-hmm. So that was just kind of something to be noted. Now, this is where the strange coincidence comes in. This is the part that really makes people think that michael peterson yes quick question was that movie deal a real thing so david his co-author was interviewed and he said it was a real thing Mm -hmm. now i don't know if it was like a real thing and then they were like oh like now this happened of course we're not gonna act like it's a real thing Mm. there was no papers there was nothing signed that i could find like it wasn't but also they never said it was like a signed done deal it just seemed like the person that they were in contact with was like yeah high like like likely it's gonna happen like it's pretty much a done deal right okay you know and then the next day that this happened they're gonna be like no we never said it was a done deal bye yeah. So this is where the strange coincidence happens. The police are asking around the friends and family about all these questions about like, you know, were they in love because we're finding out about these affairs and stuff. And a ton of friends just kept saying, you know, this is just a double tragedy because something similar happened to the girl's moms, the adopted girl's birth moms, Margaret and Martha's birth moms. <gasps> now, the police, they remember getting a bunch of phone calls from a woman by the name of Margaret, who is Elizabeth's sister. Okay, this is important. So Elizabeth Ratliff, I always want to say Radcliffe because Daniel Radcliffe. Um, Elizabeth Who's Elizabeth? Elizabeth is Margaret and Martha's birth mom. Remember how he adopted these two girls? Yes. This is their biological mom. Yes. And she passed away in Germany when they were all friends in Germany. Uh Uh-huh. These two American families were friends in Germany because Elizabeth and Patricia, his first wife, Mike Peterson's first wife, they were teaching at the military base. So they became friends. Then, of course, the husbands became friends. And then the couple died. Their friends died. So they adopted their two daughters. Well, the biological mom, she was found dead at the bottom of her stairs in Germany 18 years ago. Fell stairs? That's what they said. But the police are like, what? That's weird. That's not just a strange coincidence. The police kept saying um, lightning doesn't strike twice. So let's go into Germany. What happened there? So mm-hmm. there's a guy by the name of George Ratliff and Elizabeth Ratliff, and they are the couple, right? So George is also in the military. They get along from all of these. And then Patty and Elizabeth, they're teaching at the military base. So it's like the perfect couple. I mean, they're both in Germany. They're both American families. And they're like, listen, like we all speak English and like we can just like raise our kids together like military families. woo, And they get along really, really well. 
Now, when the girls are really young, about one or two years old, George actually ends up dying in a military exercise. So he passes away. And Patty and Elizabeth are really close friends. So the Petersons are like, listen, Elizabeth, why don't you just come and move nearby, like maybe a couple doors down, like across the street, so that it's easy for us to like check in on you, for you to come over anytime. We can babysit your kids. You can babysit ours. It will just, we'll just take you in, you know, essentially. Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. So after she suddenly becomes a single mom, I mean, she's like really, really thankful for all the help that they're giving her. So they're like, okay, like this is amazing. She moves in. And so now that she's like this new single mom and she wasn't planning on any of it, she's just really happy that the couple's there for her. Like, especially Michael, like he's always giving her advice on how to take care of things that George had initially taken care of for everything. Right now, the day of her death. So Elizabeth, her two daughters, they went to the Peterson house. They enjoyed this dinner together. And Michael's like, listen, it's dark outside. I'll walk you and the girls home. So they mm-hmm. leave, they walk across the street, and the next morning, Elizabeth's nanny arrives around 8 in the morning, and she immediately is like, oh, sh- something's weird here. The light is on, the front door is unlocked, like, this is not normal, this is not normal. So she walks inside, and she sees Liz at the bottom of the staircase in a pool of her own blood. And so she immediately feels for a pulse and she said that the body was still warm. So she's like, okay, like I need to get help. She runs immediately to the Peterson house and she's like, you guys need to help me. Like she's freaking out. Okay. And she doesn't know what to do. So Michael and Patty, they rush to the scene and Michael tries to get a pulse, but he's like, oh, like she's already dead. And Barbara's like, no, 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 like she's warm. Like we need to, we need to call the cops. Like we need to do this. We need to do that. Right. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I need to go check on the kids. So she runs upstairs. The babies are okay. She starts throwing up in the toilet, the nanny. Cause I mean, imagine how crazy this is. So she's like throwing up in the toilet and she just remembers Mike running to her and telling her like, get a blanket, get a blanket, like get a sheet. I want to cover Liz up. And she's like, what are you talking about? What, what, what do you mean? Cover her up? Like she's still warm. Did you call the police? And he's like, yes, yes. I called the police, but listen, she's not alive she's dead and she's like no 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 like she's warm and michael told her no it's because the floors are heated and so she's like what and so they're waiting for the police i mean this was a shit show so barbara said that there was just blood everywhere like there was blood all over the walls she said it felt like she cleaned blood for weeks like there was that much blood now patricia and mike on the other hand they claimed that there wasn't that much blood that there was blood But there wasn't like that much blood, right? So then Mm. another family friend um, who's friends with Elizabeth and the Petersons, her name's Amy. She was walking in with her husband because they all heard about the commotion. They freaked out. They came in and they immediately, the first thing they saw was Michael like standing in the corner. Patricia was like falling apart, okay? So Patricia Peterson is like not having a good time right now. Mm -hmm. And they kept asking like, why is there so much blood on the walls and the floor? And like, why did someone cover Elizabeth with like a coat? Like what's going on? Right. Mm-hmm. And they're just saying like, it must've been a brain aneurysm. Like she must've fallen down the stairs. That's what Michael keeps saying. And they're just like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Like Amy's just like, I just, I don't understand. Yeah. That's odd. Yeah. And she remembers that Elizabeth was still wearing her boots. And she's like, that's weird. Like she always takes off her shoes when she comes into the house. So either this feels like she was running away from someone or trying to escape. Like she wouldn't keep her boots on and then fall down the stairs. Like she wouldn't even go upstairs with her boots on. So I'm just a little bit confused, right? I mean, none of this makes sense. A witness would later come forward later and say that a man was running from the house earlier that night, but she could never ID. Now, I mean, technically it could be Michael Peterson because he did walk her home that Mm -hmm. night. But I don't know. It's just a little bit weird. So then other family family friends from elizabeth they remember seeing that there was so much blood like just so much blood now 
if only it were that easy. None of this was reported to the police in Germany. None of these friends told the German police, like, there was so much blood. <laughs> like, they didn't really say much. So Michael was acting like the spokesperson for everything. So he had called the German police department. He had called the military police. And they all get there. And he, he keeps telling them, you know, I think that there's a reason that there's so much blood. Because her medical history, you know, she was suffering from headaches. She probably had, like, a brain aneurysm. She has a blood disorder. So that's why there's so much blood. That's just kind of like runs in her family. And so the police look around. They see all of this. Other than the blood, you know, there's no signs of a forced entry. There's no signs of a struggle. They process the scene. The medical examiner rules it death by accidental fall. They take no pictures of the scene because it's an accident. It's not a crime scene. They don't have to take pictures. So nobody really knows. Was there so much blood or was there no blood? Now, devil's advocate okay i i'm gonna be honest i lean more towards i think that he's guilty right but um devil's advocate i do know that um i've read somewhere that blood is just like a weird thing with humans like you could get like one tablespoon of blood and just kind of smear it on the wall and it will look like a crime scene for people because it's just like that scary you don't see it often and blood is scary yeah. and so maybe it's like a situation of memory just kind of enhances like this traumatic moment and you're like no there was blood everywhere mm -hmm. so i'm not necessarily sure but they all kept saying there was so much blood even the neighbors of Elizabeth, they still remember that they, it was just a funny and mysterious death. That's what they call it. Just strange. People said that she maybe had a stroke at the top of the stairs and fell down, but it's just weird. So there was the speculation of maybe he was having an affair with Elizabeth. Like, that makes sense. Like, he is known to have affairs. He had multiple affairs with Kathleen, with his first wife. Like, what's not to say that he wasn't having an affair with Elizabeth? He does have this pattern. Maybe he killed her for that. Maybe he, maybe she threatened to tell Patricia, like any of these things but there's no proof of it yeah exactly. now elizabeth did write in her will to give thirty-five thousand dollars to the petersons if she dies that were that was her assets and then custody of the two daughters would go to the peterson so she wrote this will after you know her husband george had died so she's like, you just never know what life throws at you. Now I have these kids. I need to make sure that they're covered. So she thought the Petersons would be a great fit. So they adopt the two girls and um, her body gets brought to Texas near Houston because, again, they're an American family. And she was buried with her husband, George. Now, when the press get news of this, they're like, oh, yeah, he's the fucking stairway killer for sure. <laughs> I mean, it is a weird coincidence, right? Yeah. And so the police say, listen, they even look alike. Now, if you see pictures of them, they do look alike, but I don't really know if that matters. Um, maybe they're trying to insinuate that this was an affair. Like maybe this is his, you know, aesthetic type. Maybe this is the physical appearance that he's into is women who look like this. They were both found at the bottom of the stairs. The last people to see them were both Michael Peterson. There was significant blood at the scene and they believe that maybe there were significant injuries. There's no way to say that this is just like a coincidence or not, right? So here's the problem that they face. There's no pictures of the fall because it was ruled an accident. There's really not enough like autopsy stuff either. Like it wasn't thorough. It was just kind of like accidental fall, bye. And so they're like, okay, we want to exhume Elizabeth's body. Oh my God. So they're like, we need to do an exhumation. And they get permission from Elizabeth's sister. This is where Michael gets mad. He's like, what about the girls? Like why would it go to the sisters and not to the daughters of Elizabeth? Because that is who should get the say. Uh. So the police, you know, the girls at first, they were so obsessed. So Margaret and Martha, they told the docuseries because that's where they did a lot of their interviews. They were like, listen, like, this is like my worst nightmare. Why would I why would I want that? Like, I want her to be resting. This is horrendous. Like, this is so traumatic. Like, this is what are they doing? Yeah. But then finally they came around and they decided to sign the authorization papers because they thought it would help 
Michael. They were like, if it helps dad, we'll do anything because we think that the autopsy will show that this was some sort of stroke. This was some sort of fall. Like it wasn't him. So this huge argument ensues because the defense, you know, David Rudolph, this amazing defense attorney is telling them, why don't you just do it in Texas? Like she's in Houston, Texas. There are world class pathologists and medical examiners in the state of Texas, and they're all neutral to the case. Why don't you just do it in Texas and then have the results sent over? Yeah. But they decided, the DA's office decided that they would drive Elizabeth's body 1,200 miles back to North Carolina to have De- Deborah Radish, the same person who did Kathleen's autopsy, do an autopsy on Elizabeth. Uh-huh. So this is where a lot of people are upset. Why? People who even think that Michael is guilty think that it's a little weird. Like, why didn't you just have a neutral person do it? You know, someone who doesn't benefit from this. Because, you know, when you think about the medical examiner, if the DA is pressing charges, it might benefit them because they work for the DA, technically, to rule it whatever the DA wants them to rule it. Versus someone in Texas who has absolutely no connection to it. They're not going to think about what the DA in fucking North Carolina wants. They're just going to be like, no, this is what the autopsy show, right? And so she too gets brought in and Elizabeth also had seven deep lacerations in the back of her scalp. The same pattern? The same. Like the injuries were shockingly similar. Oh, then that is so... Okay, how do you explain that? So with that... That's not even like getting thunder striped twice. This is... Weird, right? So the defense is arguing that the autopsy, they're being dramatic. So um, with Kathleen's autopsy we could see like you can look at pictures of her actual head right and the Mm -hmm. lacerations whereas with elizabeth's you can't see that because this has been 18 years that she's you know and this is an exhumation it's really different and so they just have like the diagrams Mm -hmm. of where they're labeling it so the defense is saying like oh like they're just making it look closer than where it is like Like, they're trying so hard yeah to make it look so similar i mean it's still weird. But yeah, I agree. Regardless of even if she had seven on the other side, like it's still weird is yeah, my opinion. Like the laceration on the head yeah. is just very specific. And then the stall, the fall from the staircase. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Us thinking we're full blown detectives. <laughs> so they exhume her body and they decide the cause of death is homicidal injuries from repeated oh, blunt force wow. trauma to the head. Now, David Rudolph, he actually gets super pissed because he claims that he's read through tons of autopsies and never once did he read about blunt force trauma being described as, and I quote, the inflicted trauma is clearly from a homicidal assault. End quote. He's saying like, that's really weird. Like nobody writes shit like that. Like suddenly you're going to pull out like these crazy, crazy definitive, like this is homicidal assault. Clearly. Like he's just saying like, I've never read that in an Mm. autopsy report. Like you're doing too much. Like you're doing the most on this one. Right. And so, um, yeah, the results were released to the press before the trial. So it became an absolute chaotic mess. So the police are saying, listen, even if this was an accident, let's say, let's say Elizabeth's death was an accident. They're saying he saw the crime scene. He could have very well molded any future crimes because he knows what it might look like. He got away with it in Germany. Why wouldn't he try to replicate that exact formula in the States? You know, like have her fall, say it's a fall from the steps. Ooh, there's so much blood. Like maybe it's this, maybe it's that. So just Mm. they just think it's weird. What about murder weapons? 
They couldn't you know? find anything in Germany. Well, the Germany um, investigation was not an investigation. Oh, we'll get to that. The murder weapon. And so they, they were thinking about the motive other than the affair. Maybe it's financial gain. $35,000 he would get. But at the same time, he spent a lot more on the two girls raising them. Right. So it, it yeah. just kind of gets really tricky. And now I think it gets incredibly tricky for Martha and Margaret because he's accused of killing their birth mom and their stepmom that raised them. Yeah. And like this is their only parental figure left. Mm-hmm. is their dad the person being accused of doing all of these things so the defense argues other than the fact that there are two women 18 years apart that died 6,000 miles apart and the autopsies are done by the same person and not different medical examiners independent autopsies they should have used someone neutral to this case like it's just making them look bad now what is against the da's office what are they not telling us the cops don't like michael way before they even went to the house on december 9th so he wrote for the local, local newspaper and he was always outspoken about how there is a divide between um, the poor and the rich in Durham. And he said that there's really insane issues with corruption. Why do the Durham Police Department only solve 5% of crimes, but they collect 33% of tickets? Why? Why do they have all of these issues? They said that the district attorney's office, they constantly go after bingo players and underage voters. What about drug trafficking? What about all these real crimes? Why are you arresting bingo players? Like what's, what's bingo player? Like the game bingo, I guess it's like considered gambling if you've got like an organized situation going on. Oh, really? Yeah, and so he's like, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. why are you going after underage voters and bingo players? Like, you've got drug traffickers in Durham and you're just chill. It was so bad to the point where the chief of police even emailed Michael saying, you've damaged the moral, the morale of the police department. Like, you've made us all feel really shitty. Like, you need to stop that. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you're making us sad. That's a really... Yeah, yeah, like okay. he's just saying, like, you don't know shit about what we're doing. Like, we're going okay. through some shit, I guess, right? And so th- they believe, the defense is saying that they looked at this case and they decided it was murder and now they're working back. And they're just trying to find anything that fits their theory and anything that doesn't fit, they just chuck it out the window. Damn, this case is getting complicated. I know. So it's like just when you're like, oh, that motherfucker is guilty. You're like, oh, ugh. I don't know. But you know, like a lot of these, I think you can sort it out. Yeah. You know, some of them, it's distracting. But at the end of the day, you just have to look at the evidence, right? Yeah. Sometimes I just need to talk to someone. And there is nothing wrong with that. I am not in the middle of a crisis. I'm not looking for a crisis line. I'm not trying to read a self-help book. But I just want some professional counseling done securely online so that I can stay in my PJs, on my couch, eat some goldfish, and talk to someone about my feelings. And this is where BetterHelp has been amazing. I mean, seriously, if there is something that's interfering with your goals or your happiness or just maybe you're feeling a little tense these days or agitated and you just can't put your finger on why, BetterHelp actually helps assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can actually start communicating in under 48 hours there is a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in a lot of areas and the service is available for clients worldwide so if you guys live in a different country and english is your primary language and you're like this is amazing now i can talk to a professional therapist in my native language i'm so excited you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor you get a timely and thoughtful response plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you never have to go through that whole process of like being in that therapy waiting room and you're like oh my gosh someone i know is gonna walk in 
And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Because listen, I know that they have a ton of amazing professional therapists, but that doesn't mean each one is the perfect match for me. And I love that. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Wow. So this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Rotten Mango listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rotten. That's betterhelp.com slash rotten. So then here are the questions left over, right? So you've got the whole setup. Like we kind of know about what's going on in their lives. I'm sure we don't have the full extent. We never really do, but we have a little bit more than what we originally did. And then we have the DA's office, their theories of, okay, this was like rage. She found out about the fair. She wants to leave him. She's the breadwinner, all of these things. And then you've got the defense saying this was a pure accident. They're in love. They're soulmates. They love each other. Now we still have some questions, even though we've got these two theories. The first question, the most important is, Can you hear someone fall down the stairs when you're at the pool? Like, that just doesn't make sense. Can you imagine someone is bleeding out for like 90 minutes to two hours is what the medical examiner estimated. And you don't hear a single thing. Like, they're probably shouting, they're screaming, they're thumping. And so in the docuseries, they did try. They played a recording of someone screaming, help, someone help me. And the pool, they have a fountain. So, I mean, it didn't seem like they could hear anything. So that part kind of made sense to me. Now, the murder weapon. This is the most important question. What was the trauma administered by? Because it's it's such a specific laceration. Like, he, she has these lacerations, but no brain bleed, like no brain bruising. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So the weapon, they think, has to be malleable and not heavy and thick. So usual blunt force trauma, like murder weapons would be heavy and thick like you'd get like a bat a metal bat like a rod but they're thinking it's got to be something a little bit more malleable so that it doesn't actually cause these internal brain injuries so they're like thinking about all of these things and that's when kathleen's sister is like holy shit i know exactly what you're looking for and i actually gave it to her as a gift like years ago a blow poke is that for the fireplace yes so it's like this hollow stick and you blow through it so that you can fan the flames and then at the end of it it's got this little like claw Like Mm -hmm. it kind of hinges so you can kind of like move the logs around a little bit. But it's hollow and it's malleable so that if you were to hit it, maybe if you even use the claw side, that could explain all of the lacerations because it looks like someone clawed at her head. Really, it does. And so they're like, this is probably the murder weapon and we can't find it in the house. They did multiple searches of the house once Candace told them about them, about the blow poke, right? They even used metal detectors because like I said, this is like a 3.5 acre lot that they live on. They had dogs searching in the back for a blow poke. They searched everywhere. They could not find that blow poke. Now so tell me why. Go? Tell me why it mysteriously appears right before closing oh. statements. Oh yeah. So they're like, this blowpoke is nowhere. This blowpoke is nowhere. They even searched their cars. They searched everywhere. And they're like, this blowpoke is gone, right? Like, how did you get rid of this blowpoke? And so the police theory is that, you know how one of the sons came when the police were coming? Yes. Maybe he had just left to get rid of the blowpoke. Mm. maybe he knew and the dad was like listen go fucking get rid of this because you know i'm gonna go to jail mm-hmm. and so he's like okay dad thanks and then like left and mm-hmm. like got rid of the blow poke that's obviously alleged don't but you say it. it reappeared 
yeah later and so um you know that was kind of like the initial theory that the police had that the son got rid of the blow poke and that's why it's not there and he came around the same time as the emts and he's just pretending that he just got home maybe that explains the single drop of blood remember at the front porch they said that there was that single drop of blood maybe the blow poke had one drop of blood that just dripped down because that's kind of like the angle that these blood experts were saying is that it didn't look like it was dragged it didn't look it just looked like you know when water is like at the bottom of the straw and then it drops it's like that perfect little drop it kind of looked like that so maybe he was taking that blow poke outside so they start questioning all of that and they're just looking for this blow poke then we have the next question okay if maybe that's the murder weapon was there too much blood for a fall so then that's where all of the blood splatter evidence just comes into play which I mean, I feel like I really was such an advocate for all of these cool things because I was like, you know, science is really so advanced. And I was like, yeah, yeah, science. And then like the more that I'm reading about these cases, the more I'm like, this is not science. This is not because, um, well, I think that when it's done correctly, it's, you know, it's used in court in really, really good situations. But in situations like this, it's really weird. So the way that this person did it, and his name is Dwayne Deaver. He was like the blood splatter expert on this entire case, okay? And he's actually the reason that he was granted a new trial. So he would do these little experimentations where he would try to recreate the scene. He's like trying to guess where Kathleen was when she allegedly fell or got hit. And from there, he's trying to recreate it. Mm -hmm. Now, I read somewhere that it's blood splatter analysis is really, really bad because even if you were to remove one single object from the crime scene, it completely changes the analysis of the blood splatter. So if there was like a chair in front of the wall and then suddenly the chair is not there, the new blood experts that come in are like, oh, it was totally this, right? Because Mm -hmm. they didn't know that something was there. Or like some people just like pump blood faster or slower you know than other people sometimes it's the kind of fabric that you're wearing or maybe adrenaline pumping like all of these things are crazy variables that you can't necessarily perfect down Mm -hmm. to a pinpoint and so especially with this case they worked on a lot of blood splatter recreations Mm -hmm. and they were working with the end product first they just did not care how they got there they were like what we need to do is just get here we don't care what it takes we just need to get here so they would repeatedly do these little experiments until they got the blood splatter the way that they wanted it to which is which is that she was beat. That's the only way. That's, or that's what the way they, they came say. up. Okay. Well, they went in with a she's been beat, so we're going to recreate that. Okay. And so the next question is how much of his private life factors into this? Now, we do have to remember that he is bisexual, mm-hmm. and this is the South. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit weird. It's like if he were, you know, trying to get services from females, from women, would this be different? Like, would they use this in court? Would they not? Like, there was just a lot of nuance involved where I don't know if anyone had an answer. I think that um, it should be used in court because he was having affairs during his marriage with Kathleen. I don't think necessarily the jury had to know that he was bisexual. And I say this because this was 2001 in the South. I just don't necessarily think that every juror would be, even if they claim that they are open-minded, I just feel like it might do something with the jury. But are you allowed to withhold any information though? Yeah. So it's like this weird, 
I see. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, yes, Different okay. Times. I think, yeah, I think yeah. it's important to note that he was seeking sex from other people, but do they really have to know what gender these people were? Because what if that affects something? What if that makes him less relatable to certain jurors? So I just thought that was a little weird. Sure. Obviously, we want to live in a perfect world where it wouldn't matter regardless of who he was seeking sex from. Now, the next question some people had was that does Vietnam have anything to do with this? Like, he is a, you know, Vietnam War veteran. Does he have issues? Like, is something wrong? Does he have any PTSD? Does he mm. have any, you know, because sometimes PTSD can cause anger, aggression, and all of these things. Like, was it that? Like, was it she found out, threatened to leave him, and he snapped type of situation? But I couldn't find any any diagnosis of if he did have PTSD or anything. So a lot of people did bring it up, though. They were just saying, like, well, he yeah. is a Vietnam War veteran, so... We should maybe keep that in mind. Because when you look at him, you're like, there's no way like he could beat someone. Because he kind of looks old, like a Gramps. Hmm. And you're just like, huh. But then at the same time, he did go to war. Now, another very interesting question, which it's crazy that people think of the questions like this, is that the weather wasn't warm enough to be comfortable outside. That's what people kept saying. He said that he dozed off for like an hour or two. He was in t-shirts and shorts in December in North Carolina. They said it was probably like 50 degrees. They said that it would be incredibly Jeez. strange. A lot of North Carolinians, they were like, listen, I mean, it'd be pretty uncomfortable. Like, I can't imagine being outside in the middle of December at like one in the morning in just shorts and a T-shirt. I don't think he was outside the whole time. It just doesn't make sense. Now, some people do argue that alcohol does raise your temperature, but by how much? Yeah. Yeah. So That's I don't know. Weird. Maybe he runs a little hot, but it's just people had that theory. Mm -hmm. Now, here comes the owl question. What are those feathers in the autopsy? These microscopic feathers that people are talking about. So this theory, um, it's reported that it came out in 2009 after all of the original trial had already passed. But mm -hmm. apparently it had been around for a while. So the cops actually knew about this and they thought it was funny. They even put owls on their most wanted list because they were like, hee hee ha ha. Um, nobody brought it up in the original trial because they were worried that it would just confuse the shit out of everyone. Like suddenly you're like, okay, so the murderer is an owl and everyone would be like, okay, what? So here's the theory. So the neighbor of the Petersons was actually another lawyer and he knew the Petersons really well. And he just kept thinking about like, something doesn't feel right. Like something doesn't sit right. Like I just don't, no, none of this makes sense. So mm -hmm. he's going through the autopsy report and he sees the diagram and he sees all of the wounds on her face and they all said 0.25 inches in diameter and mm -hmm. he's thinking to himself you know it seems impossible like you're saying the same lacerations with the same exact measurements i mean he thinks that even the best surgeons can't do this with this amount of accuracy and now you're saying like in this rage-filled moment you're like trying to kill someone and you're like oh gotta be the same in diameter mm -hmm. like it just didn't make sense to him and so he started reading more and that's when he read that in her left hand there were strains of her own hair but also a feather that was bloody so then they look at the feather and they realize it's kind of like wrapped around her own hair with fresh droplets of blood. And so he's thinking, OK, maybe this was done by owls. So they are some of the only species in the world, he claims. I mean, I don't really know a lot about owls. I'm Do they still have the feather? Yes. Why couldn't now, they? So like what I read, because I was wondering the same thing. What I read was that um, sometimes you could have pillows that have similar fur. Yeah, that's true. You could be outside and like have touched something like, you yeah, know, it's not. Yeah. And so he's saying that th 
Owls are some of the only species in the world with microscopic feathers on their claws. And if you look at the way that an owl grips, first of all, they grip at about 280 pounds on those needle point talons. So they've got a lot of strength. You might think like there's no way an owl can kill you or create those lacerations, but they have strength. So, I mean, the way that her lacerations look, they do look kind of like pitchfork shaped, Mm -hmm. which could explain maybe it does seem like it was made from an owl. So the theory is that she was walking into the house after you know michael's staying out he's just hanging out at the pool and um this owl attacks her mm-hmm. and she's like freaking out mm-hmm. the, the owl's trying to like sit on her head mess with her head she starts bleeding she runs into the house to get shelter and she's trying to clean herself up maybe she's trying to get you know something done there's blood everywhere dripping down her hair maybe she's trying to get to a phone and she's trying to run up the stairs and she slips in her own blood and hits her head again mm-hmm. and then she bleeds to death Now, owl attacks in North Carolina are not like the rarest thing, but to this degree, really unusual. Yeah. Um, But a lot of people did say like, yeah, I saw an owl and it looked like it wanted to attack me. So I don't know. So the neighbor, the neighbor attorney attacks the DA and or or contacts the DA and they're just like, no, bye. DA saying no. It's like, that's just, yeah, they're just like, you're dumb. Now, I think this is where it gets weird. I feel like the people who really believe he's innocent really like this theory i think is so crazy but also makes so much sense that i can see why mm-hmm. you're like this is like one of those things that only happens like one in a million years like a coincidence that's so crazy so unbelievable yeah but it truly happened and there's no way anyone's gonna freaking believe you like no way so that's kind of the whole thing now the next question is why was there a shoe print on the back of her sweatpants like that doesn't make any sense at all why was that shoe print there like the, he he has no explanation for it there's no way he could even slip and fall on that slippery blood and then accidentally just like step on the back of her leg when she's laying on her back yeah so people thought was weird now the next question that they have is just the whole bleeding out thing like really for like 90 minutes to two hours you were just outside in the cold i mean if you insist is that some people think that's why he called 911 twice to give them a time of death to be like she's breathing please come call back two minutes later she's no longer breathing so the time of death would be at this point instead of earlier, which would give him time to clean. And, you know, people would be a lot more suspicious if she died two hours earlier. And then he called. OK, I can see that, too. So, yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. So then the trial starts. Now, Michael, he does have money because he did pay over, I want to say, like $800,000 for this defense. Wow. They hired some of the best, like blood splatter experts. They did, um, what do you call them? Those case studies. They brought in a bunch of strangers, sat them in a room, and they were like, here's the evidence. What do you think of Michael? So they did all of these. Those cost like $30,000, they said. For hmm. each round, just to get their opinion on like, okay, like normal people, what will the jury think about this or this testimony? Mm-hmm. Like they did so much. <laughs> they even flew to Germany wow. to go see the house that Elizabeth passed away in, to get pictures, to get the exact measurements of the stairs, to get all of the reports, to talk to Patricia. Like they went everywhere. They did everything. Like it's insane. So now we have just like the game. Like, it just straight up feels like a game, especially if you watch the Netflix docuseries. They make it feel like a game, which I think is maybe what the producer wanted, because it doesn't really feel like they never talk about Kathleen at all in that docuseries. Game as to win this case. Yeah, it just feels like a justice, 
like what how does the court system work type mm. of game it doesn't feel at all like okay like what's the truth and i think that's what they were doing i don't think that they were trying to expose the truth i do think that they were totally biased to michael but i don't think they even set off with the intention of what's the truth i believe what the director had mentioned was like just to show like the process or something of that sort and it does show the process really well so they're kind of going through it and they think that their main struggles the defense is that um the autopsy photos like without any testimony it looks like someone was beaten on the head like anyone is going to feel that way and then another thing is that caitlin kathleen's daughter is now on the prosecution side so like that's a big deal Mm -hmm. so they bring in a defense expert which is henry lee and he is a huge blood spatter analysis expert in the field who actually now is in a lot of controversy but prior to this he was highly regarded in the field um yeah in 2019 there was this huge piece done on him because apparently he claimed that he had tested something for blood and he had never even tested it at all and he was like oh it like tested positive or negative but like records show that he never fucking got it tested to begin with so they're like oh so you're just making stuff up but he testified in a lot of celebrity cases such as the oj simpson case yeah so he i mean people know him now here's the interesting thing the house that she passed away in michael lived there for years waiting for the trial and they kept the staircase bloody they didn't clean it up some people think that this points to him being guilty because how do you live like that some people yeah some people say it's because you know the defense would go in on multiple occasions to restudy the blood splatter i don't think i feel like if anything it proves that he's not as guilty because if you're guilty why I feel like he would want to clean it up, no? Mm, makes to hide sense. hide any evidence. Or like, I guess maybe guilt would be a stronger feeling. Yeah, like if you are guilty, maybe you'd clean it up because you can't sleep at night because you're like, I did that. You know? Yeah, why would you want to keep that? Yeah. Preserve that for what reasons? I don't get it. That makes sense. And so um, Henry Lee, he testified in court and he was saying that the blood splatter is not. So they're saying all of these like specks of blood, like these dots of blood on the wall is because someone is beating with this blow poke right mm-hmm. so as they're bleeding the blood is on the blow poke they put it up in the air and the blood splatters onto the walls then they thrush it down and blood splatters again and they keep repeatedly doing this to cause the seven lacerations mm-hmm. now henry lee is testifying that no it's because she coughed so she is laying there and she's she's got blood in her mouth and she cuffs so he put ketchup and water and ch- chugged it they had this whiteboard that you know david was holding up at the trial and he coughs onto it and it does create kind of like a blood splatter pattern so he's <laughs> like i mean this is really unreliable it looks like that too so i mean it's kind of weird so in this situation the only thing that doesn't make sense a lot is that um there was no blood in her lungs and there was a lot of blood on the walls so you'd have to believe that it's because there was blood dripping down her face she inhaled it into her mouth or maybe her tongue was bleeding something of that sort and she was coughing all of that onto her walls Mm -hmm. but her lungs were not bleeding Mm -hmm. so there wouldn't be this crazy amount of blood pumping out from inside of her they were also claiming that um, the lacerations, they're shocking, but it's kind of like when you slam a watermelon onto the ground, you have, you know, one or two impact points, and then there will be like these, like the pitchfork spikes, the tears in other places. So that's what they were claiming. 
So then the main thing that the defense had also was that there was a lot of differences in some of the crime scene photos. Like some of the times they'd be like, look at this speck of blood on the kitchen counter. And the defense would be like, well, why in this picture of the same kitchen counter is there no blood? And they'd say, that is a glitch. And they literally asked, well, what about the other photos? And they said, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> so it's kind of dumb. Yeah. What? And so there was another piece of evidence that the police were adamant that he was cleaning up the crime scene. Like, that's why there's no striking gun. Like, there's no crazy like, ooh, this is exactly why. Because he was cleaning up the crime scene. So See, look OK, at this. so yes. all of those, I might take it with a grain, grain yeah. of salt because, you know, police saying, oh, he was acting, doing mm-hmm. or like I don't know. We don't know for sure. I don't know how reliable your words is. Especially because they would show a picture and it Mm -hmm. would say, look, this blood looked like it's been wiped off. And then there was another picture where it didn't look wiped off at all of the same exact spot of the same exact little blood spots. So they're saying either Ah. the police wiped it off and then took another picture or is it a photo glitch or what? Because Mike wasn't allowed access to that crime scene after you guys started taking pictures. So who did that? So they were just like, okay. um, So it just got really, really, really crazy. Okay. Now they do go after the blood splatter analyst. His name is Dwayne. Dwayne is going to become important. So Dwayne's on the stand and the prosecutor is like, listen, Dwayne, tell us what's up. And he's like, listen. She was muttered, essentially. Like, that's what he's saying. He was like, there's no way that this would have happened in any other way. The main thing that we have is that he's got blood splatter. Is different from just blood inside his shorts on the inside not the outside mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like it was soaked you know mm-hmm. it's a it's a speck of blood splatter so mm-hmm. that indicates to us that he was standing on top of her beating her and that's the only way the blood would travel and land on the inseam of his pants that he was wearing there was blood splatter on his shoes which means he must have been near her because you don't get splatter if you just walk to a crime scene and there's blood everywhere. Splatter is different than just having blood on your shoes, right? Mm-hmm. So that means he must be there at the time. He must have been beating her. And so the way that he was going to prove this, and he showed videos of doing this in court, was that he would soak a, a sponge in blood. Mm-hmm. And he put it on a staircase that was very similar to theirs. And he started beating that sponge, pretending that was Kathleen's head. And he was standing above it and he hit it twice he looks down at his pants he walks out with his legs spread and people check and there sure enough was blood splatter inside of his shorts now people do really really hate this because when you see that video you actually see him kind of like spread his pants open to like make sure it gets in there real good and then he'll like hit the sponge and then like look down and then like hit it again and then like look down and then he's like i think i got it you know Mm -hmm. and so it really just doesn't really seem scientific at all in any sort of way now the defense comes after him hard and they're like what about his shirt did you test his shirt for blood splatter Mm -hmm. and they said that no they didn't test it because the shirt was dark blue so they couldn't visually see the splatter and so the defense is like you know there's other ways to test it you know, with like lights and different things. Like there's definitely ways to test it, even if the shirt is dark blue. And they're like, well, we just like didn't test it. And they're like, are you sure? That's shady. Are you sure? And then they realized that they tested it. So he pretty much was like, okay, like, yeah, we tested it. And there was no blood splatter on his shirt. Oh my God, that is so shady. So they said, what? Why don't we know this? Because anything that Dwayne found out about the blood splatter had to be entered as evidence and the prosecution had to share it with the defense. You can't just enter an evidence that you think gives you a guilty plea or verdict because 
that doesn't make any sense. That's not, uh, that's corrupt. And so he's both like. Both sides are pretty good at this. Both they're, sides are both nasty. Yeah, yeah, they're just taking bits and parts of evidence exactly. and just play with that. It, it has nothing to do with justice at this point. It just has to do with who gets caught up in a stupid lie. Like, it's just pretty nasty. It's all PR is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like the jury is like the world and it's just a PR game. Mm-hmm. Of which company is more corrupt and it has nothing to do with justice is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Like even the fact that the DA is like, oh, I want the family on my side for optics, you know, yeah. it's like that's really gross, first of all. But like I get it. Yeah. But you have to remember, I think sometimes I do forget this is that DAs and prosecutors, mm-hmm. they need to win cases to get promoted. And yeah. a lot of them care way more about their jobs and their finances than they do justice. Not all, but a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And you never know which one you're going to get. And so he's just like, well, then you hid this. And they're like, no, I gave it to the prosecution. The prosecution's like, I've never saw this. And so he's like, what the fork? Are you unhappy with your smile? Listen, you just don't have to be, okay? I was in that place too. There was a time in my life where I would be giggling, I'd be smiling, and then I would realize, wait a minute, and then I would quickly just cover my mouth with my hand, and I hated it. But you don't have to hate it. Thousands of people have used Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable, and practically invisible aligners to help straighten their teeth, and now they freaking love their smile. Just like Justin from Atlanta, Georgia, he said that when he was younger, he used to have this gap in the front and on the side of his teeth. And he noticed that people would always look at his mouth first. He was looking for a fix. Candid ended up being the perfect company for him. You can't even stop him from smiling now. And Candid is here to help straighten your teeth so you can fall in love with your smile too. Your treatment is prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in teeth movement. You'll have the same quality of care you'd get from an in-office orthodontist from the comfort and convenience of your home. And while other companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists. The same orthodontist who created your plan is with you from start to finish so you never have to wonder how you're doing. The average candid treatment is just six months. You'll start seeing results way before then and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. And also it looks better. Become your best you. Start straightening your teeth today. Right now you can save $75 on Candid Starter Kit. Go to candidco.com slash rotten and use code rotten. That's candidco.com slash rotten. Use code rotten. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 off your starter kit. <laughs> candid CO.com slash rotten code rotten for the people in the back. So they were also saying that your videos look really poopy. <laughs> so there's this one video where Dwayne Dweaver, Dweeb, <laughs> Dwayne Dweaver, he gets up onto a ladder, like just a standard ladder. And there's um like a white backdrop and he just, he just like drops like, I guess like a mannequin with like blood. Mm-hmm. And then sees the splatter. But no one even suggested that Kathleen was dropped on her head from the top of a ladder. Mm-hmm. So like, what does that have anything to do with the case? But he was like, blood splatter. So he's just not that good. And with- so he testified that he's done like over 200 of these cases. He's worked on so many falls. He's worked, he's, you know, advised on close to 500 cases, all of this. So there was a lot of emphasis on his testimony. The jury thought that this guy was like, you know, the best blood splatter analysis out there. Like he's got it comes into question later so a lot of people that were interviewed after this trial happened and they are actually considered blood splatter you know experts in their field like they're highly regarded in their field Mm -hmm. they said that 
the way that he does it is complete junk science like they don't even know what he's doing they're like are we even learning from the same source material because that doesn't even make sense like nobody does it like that truly nobody does it like that like you don't start with an end result and then just try a hundred times and then hope that you get one of those takes to work on camera and you're like done guilty like what are you saying so then Deborah, she gets up on the stand. She's the medical examiner that, that did both the autopsies for Kathleen and Elizabeth. And the defense, I mean, they really did get their money's worth. So they printed out over 200 blunt force trauma deaths in the state of North Carolina in the last few years, every single autopsy report. And they brought up binders full of it and dropped it out in front of the jury and said in all 250 cases, either have one or the other of like a brain trauma or brain fracture Mm-hmm. in blunt force trauma homicides but this case has none so every single one from the past does have yes that. has either one uh, they have brain trauma or uh, you know fractures in their skull when they're murdered yeah or they have both uh-huh. in terms of having you know blunt force trauma homicides uh-huh. but this one has neither they just have lacerations uh-huh. so do you have anything to say about that and she's like not really and so the jury was like oop yeah it's i mean these are all just like moments in the trial where it's like it just keeps swinging and you kind of feel gross because it is interesting but it's also not really justice it's really just straight up like haha gotcha like (sighs) yeah so the prosecution, they go hard with that blow poke. Their opening statement, they brought out a blow poke and they're like, we think that this is the murder weapon that just magically disappeared from her house. Like she doesn't have a blow poke anymore. Where'd that blow poke go? Why would you just throw away a perfectly good blow poke? Kathleen's sister testifies and said that, you know, she originally thought that Mike was having a truly respectful relationship with her sister, but then she changed her mind because she had no idea who Mike Peterson is. Like all of these, you know, things about his sexuality, his affair, and you know where's the blow poke the prosecution also brought in the male escort to testify he was a former soldier and he posted his information on an escort website in 2001 now august of 2001 so she passed away in december in august they had plans to hook up in september and there was tons of emails with like nudes so he goes up there and he testifies and it's interesting so um he would say that like most of his clients are married He said that most of them are bisexual men and their wives um, sometimes knew about it. It wasn't unusual for the wife to know that they're bisexual. This is what's interesting. Michael Peterson wrote in his email when he's meeting up with this former soldier and said, I'm married, very happily married with a dynamite wife. And he's not looking for a relationship, just sex, because his wife fulfills like all of that. So it's kind of weird. So the jury reads that, but they also read all of the really intense emails that are talking about like how they're going to do it. So, I mean, I don't know if this really hurt or helped him. It's just interesting, I guess. Now, they didn't end up sleeping together, not because Michael finally came to the conclusion like, hey, I should stop sleeping with other people because I am married, happily married. But it's because the guy was like, hey, I actually just want to bail. Like they had plans to meet and he was like, I don't really want to do this. Like I'm kind of busy. Like he just said that he was tired. And so they didn't actually do it. So, you know, I don't know if that helps or hurts. So then a couple weeks before the trial is over clayton the eldest son Mm -hmm. he was looking around in the garage and he said that there was a section of the garage where they keep all of their tools and he had walked over there and he was like oh my freaking goodness is that the blow poke just sitting there so he claims to call his dad that sounds really dumb because he's saying that a corner that where all the tools lays yeah well wouldn't that be the place to look for it yeah 
And so obviously there's really big concerns about this, you know, because I mean, the police specifically searched a long time for this blowpoke. And I'm sure they searched in the garage because a lot of people hide some weird stuff in the garage, right? It's a murder weapon. That's the only thing that people want to find. And so, you know, that's weird. First of all, like your son finds it. Like at one point, one of the other sons was like possibly considered a suspect just because of how weird everything was going down. So Mm -hmm. there's actually a big group of people who still think that one of the sons is, is involved. Either they knew about it or they're the one that did it. And Mike is covering for them. They didn't necessarily have what seems like the best relationship with Kathleen as they made it out to be Hmm. is what people speculate. But I couldn't find any like solid hard evidence that they were, you know, fighting or something was going on. But it does seem a little tense for some reason. And so, you know, they're like betting on his life. You know, the defense attorney comes and he says, you better hope that there's no hair or blood on this because we're going to turn it in. And mm-hmm. if they find anything on this, like you're done. So they look at it and they took these high definition studio quality pictures because there was cow webs around the blowpoke. So it looks like it had been sitting in the garage for some time. Okay. You know, but I mean, it's just all so weird. So they turn it in as evidence and the blowpoke is super dirty. It doesn't look like it's been cleaned. It doesn't look like it had been wiped off of any blood. Um, there was bugs on there. There were cow webs on there. But, you know, the little claw part. That part's just gone. What what claw part? At the end, the claw, it oh, kind of hook? hooks so that you can move the locks. Yes. That part was completely just ripped off the blowpoke. The blowpoke itself wasn't bent. Uh-huh. Like you would imagine it would get bent if, you know, you were in. But still, though, if you use it as a wet weapon, then it must be covered in blood. and. Yeah. Maybe they know. cleaned it and let it get some cow webs and get dirty again. Because it was like years later, the trial. Oh, really? Yeah, because the trials take so long. Oh, okay. So, yeah. But Again, it still seems I... like really weird timing to be like, okay, so like my thing is, I think it's really strange to just be like, my son found this blowpoke that you guys were looking for. Like, it just makes yeah. everyone look shady. But at the same time, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Everything's so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, we are the certified idiots who don't know anything. (laughs) We're just like, you know what? But at the same time. (laughs) And so, yeah, they turn in the blowpoke. And again, like I said, there's no dents. There was also no evidence of blood. They tested it. But again, that claw part is just gone. I mean, very suspicious. So the prosecutors, they kind of put emphasis on this. They're saying it's suspicious that it suddenly reappeared two days before the defense rests their case. Like, that's weird, don't you guys think? They also said that if you believe that they found this blowpoke and she accidentally fell, then you just got to believe that Dwayne Deaver is just a liar. They said this to the jury. If you believe the the defense, then you believe Dwayne Deaver, our blood splatter analysis dude, is just a liar. This is going to come haunt them. And they also said they are tried and true because they work for us. He has no reason to lie to you today. That's what they said about Dwayne motherforking Dweaver. Dweeb. It's a very uh, manipulative way of saying things. Like if you believe that dude, then that means you also... Yeah, it's like zero or a hundred. It's like, but nothing really works like that. But also, I don't believe anyone who testifies in any court system has nothing to gain from the way that they're testifying. Even like, you know, obviously you've got the jailhouse informants. Totally. They've got a reason. But like Dwayne Deaver, he's also getting paid. Yeah. Like he works for the SBI who works very close in contact with the D. I mean, it's just, what do you mean he has no motive? 
And she also said, the um, prosecutor said, there is no way that she was at work or sleeping knowing her husband was planning to do these things with men. Do you really believe that? This is not how soulmates conduct themselves. So her thing was just trying to bring down the fact that he kept saying that they were in love. She knew that he was bisexual, all of these things. And they ended it with Kathleen is talking to us through the blood on the walls. She has died of murder. And we ask you to return that verdict. Jeez, that's, yeah. that's very emotional. I know. And so the jury was even taken to the house to see the stairs, to see the pool and the whole setup. Like, uh, I mean, this jury really ran through it. Now, there was a lot riding on this verdict because you're talking about his life. So he's facing life in prison. And also he had a book deal in the works. Mm-hmm. So he was taking lots of notes during the entire trial. And he had a book deal with Harper Collins that if he was found not guilty, they would publish his book. If he was found guilty, they would immediately cut ties. And that's, you know, time for the verdict. After multiple days, they found him guilty of first degree murder, sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. So he goes to prison for about eight years. And they keep filing appeals. Eight. Eight. Okay. Just filing more appeals, more appeals, more appeals. And then they hear something about Dwayne Deaver. So there's a guy by the name of Greg Taylor in North Carolina. And he had spent about 17 years in prison. He was serving a life sentence for murder. And he was recently exonerated. Because the main testimony was by Dwayne Deaver. Mm-hmm. The freaking blood splatter dude, right? So mm-hmm. he admitted to misrepresenting blood results in the case. And there had to be this giant internal investigation at the SBI where Dwayne works. And it ruined, you know, Greg's entire life. He was married. He had this nine-year-old daughter. He went to jail for 17 years. And now you're just saying, oopsie, I lied. Hee <laughs> hee. Is, is he going to go to jail for that? Because that's, you're fucking sending people to yeah. people's lives. And, okay, so let me explain so, what happened. So Greg Taylor, he was out with his friend looking for drugs and drinking. Okay, he was not doing good stuff. I'm just going to put it out there. He was smoking crack. He gets into his car and he, they start driving. And he's like, listen, mm-hmm. I'm going to go park in that little grassy area. And we're going to smoke some more. And then we're just going to drive away. So he parks there, but his car got stuck in that area. And so they're like, okay, we got to walk away from the car and like maybe go find like some help to like push this car out and mm-hmm. they walk into like this little cul-de-sac area and he thought it was like a rolled up carpet and he's like what's what's that is that a rolled up carpet and it was actually the body of a woman oh so God. he starts freaking out he he had just smoked crack i mean he's got drugs on him he's driving without a license like this dude was doing a lot that day okay and so he leaves the body he leaves the car now the next morning he goes to the car to pick up the car and the the police are there it's a whole crime scene and he's like oh yeah that's my car and they're like why is your car here and he's like, oh, yesterday I left it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? You're, that doesn't make any sense. So they arrest him and it just started, the tide against him just started turning. You're talking about a guy who is smoking crack, doing drugs. He just like leaves his car, doesn't have a license. You know, this is now a crime scene. They found stains on the like bender of his car and they thought it could be blood. So they bring in Dwayne Deaver and he does this little test, like a chemical indication. And um, it didn't say if it was blood. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to do a more in-depth test. Now, when he did the more in-depth test, confirmed that it wasn't blood. Mm -hmm. But instead of turning that into the DA's office, he Mm -hmm. completely excluded that from the report and just did the first test and said, hey, so it looks like it's probably blood. He lied. Yeah. Never talked about the second result. Mm -hmm. So he acted like he didn't do the second result, that he didn't know that information, that it wasn't blood. And so the prosecutor, they built their case on why was there blood on your car? Let's say you even just drove there. But like if you had nothing to do with the murder, why was there blood on your car? Uh Why was there blood on your car? And it became a major factor in the jury's decision. 
And like you kind of expect that from a prosecutor, but you don't really expect that from a lab. Like you're supposed to be neutral. You're supposed to be for science. Like what are you doing? And so March 2010, they did this crazy internal investigation. 230 cases they had where not all the tests were reported in the final report sent to the DA's office. You chose and pick on information. Not just Dwayne Deaver, though. A bunch of people at the SBI. But Dwayne Deaver was one of the worst. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but he had, like, the worst. And he he testified and said that it's common to withhold negative results at the SBI, the place that he works. He threw his employer under the bus. And it's just like, how... Oh, my God. If you claim to be a scientist and for science, how do you not report all of your findings? Like, that's... Like, you learned that in elementary school science class. What are you talking about? Like, you're just trying to get the answer that you want at this point. Like, you're not doing anything for science. You're just being a biased little mother forker. And so 15,000 cases had to go under review. And hundreds of those cases were severely mishandled. And some of the worst mishandlings were done by Dean D- Dwaver, D- Dwayne Deaver. And one of those was Michael Peterson's case. Because they're just like, that doesn't make any sense. They yeah. um, The press titles were called Fantastic Tales Told in Blood. He would conduct bizarre experiments to enforce the prosecutor's case. So they have the same judge there and they've got these different prosecutors. And now David Rudolph, the same defense attorney, he's going forward and saying, we need to have a new trial because this doesn't make sense. This was the only person that was a witness to what happened in the stairway. He claims that he's the only one that knew the blood does the talking like this was the major testimony of the entire trial. What mm-hmm. makes it even worse is that at Michael Peterson's trial, they asked Dwayne. So how, how many of these like have you done? You know, mm-hmm. and he's like, like a lot. Like, I've done over 200. Like, I've done reports for over 200 cases. Well, like, a how many that involve a fall? And he's like, oh, a ton. So he seemed like this crazy, credible person. Prior to the Peterson case, he had only worked three cases where he recreated the scenes. Bro, what? He has never found a precise point of impact in any case before the Peterson case. And then magically, he's like, I know the precise point of impact. Who is this clown? Is he in jail? Because this is... <laughs> he also claimed that he went to 15 different fall sites where he analyzed the blood splatter of people who fell. But he's Absolutely never been. insane. None of the places that he's actually been to the crime scene to analyze the blood splatter was there a fall involved. So he just completely, completely lied. Yeah. So what, 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 do you know what happened to him? I'm not sure. I can look into it. I know Henry Lee, even though he's under a lot of things... Um, I don't think he was like arrested or anything. I am speechless. I wonder if they're protected by any law or are they just not? Nobody presses charges on them. But they lie on stand. Oh, he lied on stand. Yeah. Yeah. To the judge, David Rudolph brought in people who are experts in blood splatter analysis, people who wrote books that are used as teaching material. And they said that, uh, yeah, we don't really know what he's doing. That doesn't make any sense. Like, But do they have their little um what is it speculation or their little research no so that's the thing like with blood splatter it's like time sensitive it's time sensitive but it's also a situation where um you can't definitively say anything it's Mm. not like a gun where it's like this was the bullet that shot them you know it's kind of like you can't 100 percent say okay you can say 
Well, in my opinion. So they're not right? saying you're guilty. No, they're just guilty. saying his process is forked up. Like this would never pass. This would never fly. This is not what our science is about. You yeah. know, we don't ever testify like this. We don't ever do experiments like this. Like what is he doing? You know, yeah. they also reviewed footage of him doing videos for um, other different cases. And it was just bizarre. Mm. Bizarre, dude. Like he was weird and he would get so happy anytime he got the exact like pattern that he wanted. It just felt really what sick. Wow. Yeah. And they kept replaying the prosecutor saying, if you believe that, then you just believe Dwayne Deaver is a liar. And David Rudolph was like, fork, yeah. And so he received a new trial. So Michael Peterson is getting a new trial. So he gets released under house arrest and he was awaiting. Um, it was going to happen in like years. So he's just like at home for like two and a half years waiting for this trial. Right. Mm-hmm. And they had a hearing. He was actually released from house arrest, which a lot of people were upset about. And they started talking about like, okay, like, do we really want to go through another trial? So he had spent eight years in jail. Now he was in his 60s. He was looking really old. He was not feeling great. And so they're like, do you really want to? Maybe you should try the Alford plea, which means that you're like accepting punishment, but you're not accepting the guilt necessarily. Like you're not saying I'm guilty. Like I did that. I plead guilty. Right. And Kathleen's family absolutely refused. They were like, no, like we don't want to do that. So the prosecutors were like, okay, like we can't do this. We're going to have to do a new trial. So they start prepping for this new trial. And then in 2016, new information comes forward. All of the evidence had been contaminated. So the evidence box where they kept all of Kathleen's clothes and Michael's clothes from that night had been just like ripped open. Um, Kathleen's clothes, they never underwent DNA testing. And now they were just like in a box, like a moving box almost. Like not bagged up, not logged. Like there was tennis shoes on top of sweatpants just like thrown into a box. What was that? Police just didn't care? Maybe Dwayne Deaver did some testing. I was like, okay, bye. Or the police didn't care. Like, they don't know what happened, but it just was really bad. Like, I wouldn't even pack my clothes to move like that. And they're packing evidence to look like like that. They're saying, not only is this not the way you store evidence, and now none of this is admissible, but it's kind of like a biohazard because this has blood on it. And you're just, like, throwing it into a box. Like, what if someone just, like, opens it and reaches it without looking? Like, this is... This is not only just not the way to do it. It's not safe. There was also other evidence from other cases in their box. So there was cross contamination of like a different bloody sweatshirt in their box. It's like that's. Oh my god! So they had a getting worse than worse. Yeah. So they had a new trial set in 2017, and the prosecutors they were in for a ride. They were in for a ride. Okay. Like Dwayne Deaver's testimony completely gone at this point. They have no blood splatter analysis or anything. His Uh bisexuality, the judge probably won't let it in court this time. Elizabeth's death probably won't be let in court this time because they had a fight for the first trial to get those to be allowed to be Mm. you know shown to the jury. And they probably wouldn't be able to do that now. And Mm -hmm. so they decide to offer him the Alford plea, which means, again, he'll accept punishment for the crime, but he doesn't accept the guilt. Mm -hmm. So he had already served eight years, which would be more time than he would serve for like a typical manslaughter charge. So he pled the Alford plea and he was a free man. And he Mm -hmm. claims that it's like you're playing a game at a cricket table. That's what he said? Yeah. I mean, I bet all these years of these strategies and how do I come back from this evidence? Yeah. And- so, I mean, my thing is, I think that he, my personal opinion, right? I do think that it's just weird. Things don't really sit right. It's It feels like a one in a million chance, but I just don't think that he's, completely innocent i think maybe there's negligence maybe there was like he saw the owl attacker and was like okay like 
maybe it's just for the best. I'll just stay out here, right? I think something went weird that day. But I do think it's completely overshadowed by like what the fork the prosecutor is doing. And I think this case makes me feel like the justice system is so whack. And, and not in the way, like, I know it's worse for so many other people. I'm not saying it's whack for this rich white dude, you know. I'm saying it's whack because it's, like, even when you have the money, like, what are they fighting for? They're just fighting to, like, catch the other person. Not really for justice. It's weird. So yeah. there's multiple theories. The first theory or opinion is that he's guilty. Maybe it's fully him that he did kill her. Or maybe it's partly him. So maybe the owl had attacked her and he just was like, let me just strangle her because the neck thing is weird even if the other things are explained by the owl maybe mm-hmm. it was all the owl and there's just no explanation for the neck thing right but some people think that he's guilty now the next theory is that he's innocent and it's corruption it's really bad police work or maybe it's like the world is weird sometimes like maybe it is the owl and he's just like the unluckiest person in the world and this happened to him twice so he's super unlucky maybe he's the world's unluckiest unluckiest person in the world like i don't know like some people think he's innocent then theory number three is that someone else did it and he covered for them. So a lot of people think that the brothers are really strange. You know, the fact that they were in debt, um, there's rumors that they didn't get along with Kathleen and the emails, the two sons of Michael, Michael's biological sons. Oh, some people think the sons did it. Yes, and then the fact that they were like, one of them just showed up right after, you know, when the police get there, one of them found the blowpoke. Like, they just think that the sons are really suspicious. If you watch them in the docuseries, they do feel a little suspicious, but I also know it could just be... (laughs) Because there's cameras everywhere. Yeah. You know? So then the next theory is just like straight up. The owl is a full on murderer. They need an attorney up. They need to lawyer the fork up because we're coming for the owls. That's a theory. The owls are guilty. Fork the owls. Then you have, it was an actual accident. This one I don't really believe. Because there was so much blood. I don't think a lot of people believe that one. It's just Mm -hmm. too, too left field. So... Where is he now? Michael Peterson, a free man. He's he worked on his new novel in 2019. He released the behind the staircase. Yeah. About his own account of life since his wife's death and all profits were donated to charity. So then what about the house and everything going on? Right. Because houses like this, like what was happening? So before the Petersons, what's interesting is that there was a movie, The Handmaid's Tale. The Margaret Atwood book. Yeah. You know, there's um there's a show now, The Handmaiden's Tale, I think. But The mm-hmm. Handmaid's Tale was a nineteen ninety movie was seen like filmed there. There was actually a scene filmed on the back staircase. So that happened before Kathleen's death, and then afterwards they sold it multiple times, and then finally it was sold to a guy by the name of Beyond Furry. I don't know how to say his name. Um he's a self described metaphysician, music and film producer, publisher, and he had this psychic call in show at the time in New York City cable tv so like you could call in and like talk to a psychic Mm -hmm. now he bought it for 1.3 million dollars in 2008 and this psychic had no knowledge of the house's past before the purchase so i don't know i wouldn't necessarily say that you could call him for psychic stuff (laughs) because how do you not know bro it's also on google you don't google stuff before you freaking you don't zillow anything i don't know and so dr phil actually had an interview with michael peterson like i want to say a year or two ago Mm -hmm. and he said that a lot of the like the mannerisms in his docuseries looked like he was lying he called it like behaviors of people who are lying who said that dr phil yeah but also he's like really not that credible in my (laughs) opinion so i don't know is he a real doctor i mean i guess he is right yeah what kind of doctor though 
exactly he's like i'm a doctor in art history i have my phd in art history but i made this talk show <laughs> so so he interviewed yeah Mike. and just said that it was yeah there's also um, a very interesting podcast that um russell what's his name the one that was married to Katy perry russell brand is that his name mm. the rock star dude he interviewed david rudolph and they went into depth about like how lawyers manipulate juries Mm. it's like all a game and yeah. stuff so that's very fascinating too but this one was a wild one i know that this one got really confusing because at a certain point i stopped believing evidence like at mm -hmm. a certain point i was like wait like at what point is this fact and at one point is this an opinion or is this is this some manipulation that's being done because i don't even know what's at the crime scene anymore like it's gotten to a point where i can't even trust the facts of the case like yeah. that's how bad this one was so let me know your thoughts and please don't hate me if i believe something different from you because i'm a certified idiot and what the fork do i know bye